0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am David Bax. Yes, I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is not here. He is on assignment. I am solo. Well, plus a guest. But for the opening part, I am solo. Normally, Tyler and I do a did you read about this in the news or did you see this on film Twitter? Um, I don't have anything like that because I don't have anything to bounce off of. I wanted to talk about AFI Fest this year and the fact that they've done away with the free ticketing. Um, so, uh, uh, guest, uh, you are somewhat new to being an Angelino. <laughs> I mean, it's yes and been no. been
1: about a year and a half. I think I'm getting close to a year and a half.
0: Yeah. Did you do AFI Fest last year? I did not. Okay. So I'm you sorry. don't even know what you're I'm not helpful here. But now, uh, so that, that's the big thing that I want to talk about with Tyler when he comes back. We'll talk about AFI Fest. I probably will have forgotten by then, but before then, before we get into today's topic, today's episode i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great tyler and i both use them each and every day of our lives now here at this point um guest this point in the uh, i haven't said your name yet so your name is guest at this point in the ad read is when i say here's what i've been listening to my tweakedaudio.com earbuds lately and I, I, I sort of poke fun at myself for being morbid because I spend so much time listening to the music of people who have recently passed. I'd be like, oh, that person died. I'm going to listen to their stuff. It's like, so, you know, we, we joke about that, but I'm going to do it again today, but I do want to take a moment to recognize the passing of a great American artist named Daniel Johnston. Daniel Johnston died uh, of an apparent heart attack yesterday. And um, he the, he was someone that I... Discovered at a surprisingly young age. I've been listening to Daniel Johnson since I was about 12. And the reason is because uh, there were certain artists like him and Wesley Willis and the Frogs, kind of like 90s weirdo music that I learned about because Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder and Billy Corgan and all these guys were like into them. And so I started listening to Daniel Johnson at 12 years old, didn't even know what it was, but I knew that it was something. And it re- continued to be something for 25 years, um, and there's a lot. You know, you can watch the. There's a documentary, Devil and Daniel Johnston. You can learn a lot about his, uh, you know, his mental illness and stuff like that. But what I want to talk about real quickly is the music itself, um, because if I if I could boil down what I look for in film, or look for in music, or look for an art to a simple, you know, uh, pithy uh, a little package. I can say that I'm just looking for honesty. I just want to believe that the person who is telling me something with their art means what they're saying, that they're not being overly self-conscious or, or pandering or tailoring or being overly pretentious. And you can find maybe no purer example of that in art than what Daniel Johnston did. Um, uh, And a lot of it was about his, you know, he was mentally ill, uh, had struggled with a lot of, a lot of illnesses and uh, he would, write songs that would address that in ways that you could sort of laugh along with him you know with songs like like Never Relax but he also was for all of the things that tormented him he was he could be a very positive person in his art and the things that I the songs that I return to over and over again are um, songs like uh, well I think most Daniel Johnson's Fans' favorite songs include uh, True Love Will Find You in the End, but there's also My Life is Starting Over Again and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Your Grievances. And these are really, really beautiful, simple uh, pieces of perfect songwriting. So normally I try to be a little funny in this part, but I'm still, I find as I get older, and guess maybe you, because you're about my age, maybe you have the same experience. Celebrity deaths, certain celebrity, like artist deaths, I never used to, like, I'd be like, oh, bummer. But like now I like actually cry. So like I cried when David Bowie died because I think maybe I'm more, uh, I'm more mature, but also because I'm older, like people have meant things to me longer, you know? And um, yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time very emotional yesterday afternoon uh, uh, about about Daniel Johnston. And um, weirdly, or not weirdly, the thing that helped was to listen to Daniel, John, Daniel Johnston to listen to Don't Let the Song Go Down In Your Grievances and, and My Life Is Starting Over Again These those happy songs and uh, I recommend that everyone do the same take some time if you don't know the music of Daniel Johnston look it up listen to it become a fan uh like i've been for 25 years and uh, do so on your tweaked audio.com earbuds to be very very <laughs> not callous and gracious about this, this <laughs> bringing it back to being an ad read but tweaked earbuds they look great they sound great they're available at a low low price at tweaked audio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension
1: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
0: Guest, I'm going to introduce you now. I don't think you've been on the show for a year. The last time we did this, I think, was the last time you were on the show. That sounds right. We did the TIFF wrap up, which is what we're going to do. Uh, But joining us once again from Mashable.com, Angie Hahn. How are you doing?
1: I am great, how are you?
0: I am also great, obviously very sad about Daniel Johnson's death, but very happy about tweakedardio.com. I am,
1: I, I have been sitting here being very impressed with how you, uh, you know, you, you found the honesty in your art, uh-huh. which is podcasting, <laughs> yeah, and then which you also so, monetized yeah. it. Good for you, buddy.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's get into it. We're going to talk about TIFF, uh, but first, just a quick catch-up, how how you been for the past year?
1: How have I been for the past year? For the
0: listeners, the listeners haven't heard you for oh for gosh. a year.
1: Do you want me to go like start like day by day, like out of 25? Okay, all right. Oh, how's, then I, then, your I've Christmas? Been, then I've been good. Christmas is so long ago; I don't remember how it was, but I assume it was fine because I didn't have any horrible memories flashed in my mind just then. How's um, your Christmas?
0: Uh, my Christmas is fine, but actually, you just reminded me of a story.
1: Um, Is it about tweakedaudio.com? No, it's about
0: you and (laughs) your friend and friend of the show, Perry, uh, Perry Nemiroff. Um, I remember seeing you about November award season time, you know, parties or whatever. You and I were at some sort of party, award season party, and there was another one the next night. And I was like, oh, are you going to whatever the next night one was? Um, Fox Searchlight, I think it was, or whatever. And you were like, uh, and you said, oh, no because Perry's having a birthday party, is what you said. And so, like, two months later, the next time I saw Perry, which was at a screening, like a pre-Sundance screening of uh, The Hole in the Ground, this is, like, now two months after her birthday. But I haven't seen her since, and I was like, oh, yeah, Angie told me you had a birthday. Happy birthday. And she was like, that's really weird. I've never been wished happy birthday in January.
1: Well, I've never been asked how my Christmas was in September, so I guess this is just a thing you do.
0: Yeah, this is what I do. Yeah, because... You know, time, you know, I, I keep mentioning getting older. I'm literally about to turn 37 um, and uh, time just condenses, you know, the years fly by. You and know? Man,
1: you're the only one who's asked me in September how my Christmas was. Well, I think I'm older than you are. Oh, OK. So when I get to your age, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll see. OK. All right, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. When you're dangling over the precipice of 37 uh you will uh uh,
1: well a lot of changes coming for me in the next year or so
0: (laughs) yeah i could tell you it's a whole different ball game over here at almost 37 (laughs) um I'm trying to, I was trying to think when this is going up. No. Okay. I will not be 37 yet by the time this is posted. But if you listen to this a week late, I will already be 37. That's the
1: point. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh,
0: I will wait two months to hear a happy birthday, uh, from you. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about the movies we saw at TIFF, but first off, do you have any, just sort of, we'll do an overall wrap up of this TIFF, but anything, any, 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 uh, any little things about TIFF this year you want to, uh, you want to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the weather.
1: It, the weather was good. It's it been hot good. in L.A., and then it was, like, fall weather fall in Toronto. Weather. I and realized it rained, but it
0: didn't really rain, whereas last year it, like, really rained yeah. during TIFF. Yeah. This year it was, like, it was nice. Um, although I did get, <laughs> speaking of the rain, I did get, you know, people talk about Canadians being so friendly.
1: Oh, no. Was it yeah. Canadian rude to you?
0: Well, I might have had it coming. I don't think I did. I'm going to put it up to I'll you. I'll be the I'm judge of that. I'm gonna Go put on. It to you and the listeners, so I had to get from the Scotia Bank to the Ryerson, which is very in, inside uh, baseball, and I would have had time to walk last year when I was going. I would have walked. It was a long walk, but I would have done it. You know, you get your steps in for the day, or whatever. But it was like raining, so I call a lift. Right, and this is a problem I had. This is not part of the story, but it is part of the story. Throughout this tiff, every time I call the lift, I don't know the lift app. The driver was go would go to a different like side of the street a different corner like the i don 't know if it 's just because there were so many people that like the app couldn 't tell them exactly where I was for some reason, so anyway, I had this problem with the guy 's on the other side of the street, and that street um, Richmond I think it is is the street is uh, uh, like some of the streets in Toronto have not just bike lanes but they have actually like separated like there 's like a row of shrubs like there 's the street, a row of shrubs, and then a the bike lane that 's totally separate. So I'm standing on the sidewalk next to the bike lane. The guys on the other side, he's not seeing me. So I'm trying to get his attention. So I step into the bike lane. In fact, and then so I step into the bike lane to get his attention. I see someone coming, so then I intentionally move all the way up against the shrubbery, so this guy has plenty of room to pass behind me while I'm trying to wave down the, the, the lift driver, and this rude Canadian as I as he goes back he goes get out of the fucking way <laughs> um, wow and I just got on my lift what I wanted to say is I wasn't in your fucking way I made sh- fucking sure of that but uh, that's not what happened
1: oh David maybe he's a listener and he can hear you right now
0: oh I hope so I hope so <laughs> if you are a listener you rude Canadian get over yourself most Canadians were very nice though I think Uh,
1: all the Canadians I dealt with were very polite. I did enjoy the TIFF bumper this year. That's about Canadian film and how it's time that they take credit for it. I applaud it every time. I was like, good for you, Canada. Did you get
0: all of the references? Because I didn't.
1: Uh, I got a lot of them, but not all of them. So, yeah,
0: to... I uh, see this is the kind of stuff that I love. Not talking about the movies, but talking about the minutiae. I love this stuff. I don't know how the listeners feel. But yeah, this bumper, and it would say like it, it started with showing a sign for London, Ontario, and it would say and, and the, the voiceover was like, an Oscar nominee, grew no, up. No, it was like
1: one of Hollywood's leading men grew up here. Right and the, five minutes away from this Oscar nominee.
0: Right. And so and so at that point you see a guy driving a car and the music is very like they're supposed it's clearly they're talking about Ryan Gosling they're,
1: yeah they don't say Ryan Gosling they don't show Ryan Gosling but they're clearly trying to make you think of Ryan Gosling and, yeah and, and so then, do then the a
0: couple more like and then this person and then like this Quebecois director blah, blah, and I'm like okay Denis Villeneuve and then we're like oh is that who that was that I'm was a part sure of the puzzle that I was. didn't figure out okay, okay and, and then there was one that was very obviously the handmaid's tale shoots there there was Rachel about,
1: McAdams is the other one that they say grew up in that's the one I didn't
0: get what is that a reference
1: oh to? gosh okay so after you see like the fake Ryan Gosling yeah. it says like he grew up five minutes away from these other Oscar-nominated Oscar nominee, and it is, like, a girl in, like, a pink cardigan, like, kind of a schoolgirl-looking girl. Looking oh, girl. So it is referencing Mean, girls, mean girls,
0: yeah. Okay, but it's got that, like, overcast... Like, I didn't think of Mean Girls at that point. Yeah, right now I see, they like... They have oh, yeah, costumed
1: she's, her she's, she's to, like, look like a, a, a schoolgirl wearing pink clothes, and she's getting on a school bus so that the, you kind of think, like, oh, she's a student. But I guess student. because I
0: think of Mean Girls as, like... A sunny movie aesthetically, and this movie, this, this bumper clearly took place. It looked like the girl was Only five on the train. minutes apart.
1: The weather's going to be the same, David. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: I didn't get that one. And then there was another one that was like, Where are you going, Kareem? I didn't know what Karine,
1: that was. Oh, okay, so then uh, a lot of film Twitter has been trying to figure this out. It is this actress named Kareem Vanessa or something. I don't really know who she is, to be honest. Um, but uh, she it's weird because she's the only actor referenced who you also actually see because so everything else is her. just Yeah, that's like a real person. Okay. So then there's her, and then the other one. One. What was the other? The other one, one
0: was the Dallas Buyers Club. Because, yes, there's a uh, Dallas, Dallas Buyers from Club from Montreal. The, what's his name? So wait, who is Kareen? Now I want to look her she's up. She's
1: just. A, she's a Canadian actress.
0: How, how do you spell it? With a K or with a C? I
1: think it's K A R I N N E or something like that. Or we going to find her? She just got cast in something today, but now I don't remember what it was. I just remember because I got excited because I was like, I know who that is now because of the TIFF bumper and how Canadians are now taking credit for their films.
0: Yeah, well, it's good for them. It, it always got a big... Um, yeah, I can't find her. Uh, got a big response, which is a fun, fun reminder because I think of TIFF as like... It's an international festival and that's true not only in the films. Um, thank you. Uh, true not only in the films, but in the, the attendees. You know, you wait in line for movies at TIFF, you hear other languages being spoken or whatever, but whenever that bumper would pay, play and there'd be a big response, I'd still be like, oh, right, most of the people here are, are locals, and that's very cool. Well,
1: like, the, I'm an American. I've never lived in Canada. I've only been to Canada for TIFF and one time for, like, a set visit, and yet, like, I would feel a swell of Canadian patriotic pride, which makes no sense, because, again, I'm not Canadian, yeah, and then I, I would applaud every single time. I never applauded. I loved it. I was like, good for you, Canada.
0: I think I never applauded, not because I'm mad at Canada, because I was still trying to figure out who Corrine was and who oh, the girl the, getting I, on the school bus was. See,
1: I I was applauding because I was like, you know, like the stereotype of Canadians is that they are very nice and they're, they might not take credit for their work. So I was like, good for you. You, meanwhile, had a run in with a rude Canadian. So you were like, <laughs> right, they get enough credit true. already.
0: Um, I'm also not a big applauder at film festivals especially before the movie
1: i think that I that you know? i would applaud at and then i would be grudgingly i didn't like this year's volunteer ad but then i would be grudgingly okay. applaud we're for on that.
0: different pages here because a at every film festival the, i applaud harder for the volunteers than i do for the I filmmakers i applaud
1: for the volunteers but i'm just did, saying so this, this year these I didn't were like volunteers them.
0: telling their stories of...
1: it's not even volunteers it's people who have interacted in the past oh, with volunteers right. telling their stories about how they like met a volunteer who like changed their life like one of them as a, a I think there's like a story about some guy losing his ticket. There's like some guy about like how he became a film festival programmer because of TIFF. There's like someone where like the volunteer was like her friend, childhood friend, yeah. and I don't like think how all this missed, interaction. The missing ticket one.
0: I, think, I don't think I. Missed, I don't that know. One there's a joke.
1: there's a lot of them, and it's and it's just like so. Then you just watch someone talk for like two, for like a minute about their experience yeah. with the volunteer, and I didn't like it because I was like. First of all, like, this sets a bizarrely high standard for volunteers. Most of them I had very pleasant interactions with, but I would not say any of them changed my life. So it's, like, weird that we are setting that as the bar for what but volunteers are doing not mean that us.
0: no one has ever had their life changed by a TIFF volunteer. I'm not saying no
1: one, but I was like, okay. And then second of all, it's also just like, I mean, if we're being honest, the stories are kind of boring. I was just like, okay, now this guy that I don't know has become a film festival programmer. Good for him. But the one him. girl is friends with the
0: the girl, and they're going to go to Japan and India together. Uh,
1: whatever. Okay, that's good for them. I would if I was her friend, but I don't know who they are. Um, I liked last year when they all went to like the Winter Garden year. and then they sang a song for no apparent reason. I like they that.
0: They sang one. We Are the Champions, and I had it stuck in my head. Here's the thing about, and I say this about every film festival, and for those who don't go to film festivals, there is a set number of bumpers, like a festival bumper, and then there's usually some sponsor bumpers and a couple of other things that play before every fucking movie. And so if you see. Fifteen movies, like I did. That means you see the same thing fifteen times. And yeah, you're right. With the uh, I like I like the volunteer ones because they mix them up. There's also the gross Sh- audience choice awards ones, which they mix up. The, but those Tyler's are the same ones. Thrilled
1: by thrillers. There yeah. was a new one this year. There was the the kitty okay, who doesn't, doesn't like do comedy. comedy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. I was
1: very excited to see her because she was new.
0: Um, but then by the end, I was sick of her again. Um, and so yeah, I, I always hate. Uh, uh, you know, I always judge the, and the actual festival bumper this year was great. It was so quick. It didn't have any time the festival bumper. Cause do you remember the worst one ever from Sundance? Maybe like three years ago, which is the woman like lacing up her boots in the cabin and then chasing a light, like out into the woods.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it was like cute the first time I saw it, but then it also took forever it
0: forever. And it's when it's the same. Yeah. This but, one
1: was essentially like a glorified, like moving logo.
0: Yeah. It just spun around. It was fine. It was over real quick uh yeah okay we've talked about the bumpers actually i mean i have more to say but we're not going to talk about the the festival bumpers all night because the listeners probably want us to talk at least a little bit uh uh uh, about the actual films that we that we saw sorry um all right kareem van ness that's her name venice she's in nothing that i've seen i don't think
1: uh, she was in a festival bumper that I am pretty sure that you've seen.
0: <laughs> That's true. Oh, apparently forty-two episodes of Revenge. Forty-two episodes of Revenge. She was on that show Pan Am, got canceled. Oh. Small role in Midnight in Paris. And, all right. Well, I guess she's uh, up and coming.
1: Oh yeah, she joined God Friended Me. Okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let's talk about the movies. We're going to go alphabetically uh, uh, through the movies uh, this time, which is the same thing we did last time, which means I am going to kick things off with Roy Anderson's, I think I'm saying that right, about endlessness. Uh, And this is, if you've seen a Roy Anderson movie, you know, he did songs from the second floor. He did, uh, you, the living, he did a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. Uh, and these are movies that they'll have a couple through lines, but mostly they are just a series of vignettes. Each, each scene is a single take from a sort of whitish angle, somewhat wide angle, you know, a long angle, wide angle lens. Um, and they're sort of usually absurdly funny, sometimes very dark. um, and they're meticulously uh, set design, production design. They're, they're, they're very funny. I'll, I'll I'll just to give it an idea. I'll relate the, the opening vignette of about endlessness is a man walking up some like public stairs, carrying his groceries and he stops and he addresses the camera. And he said, uh, um, as I was walking up these stairs the other day, a friend, like a, uh, school chum of mine, Passed me on the stairs, and I said hello, and I guess he's still holding a grudge when I was mean to him in high school because he didn't say hello back. And his name is Sverker, and then like a guy like walks up the stairs, and he goes, "Oh hey, Sverker and Sverker just like <laughs> growls at him and keeps walking. So they're very like these dryly funny things. Um, uh, he definitely has some themes that show up in 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 his films. Uh, there's the the overlap between religion and commerce is definitely something that very much concerns him. Uh, you know, you have got a, um, there, there's a, one of the, one of the through lines, a character we actually revisit more than once is, uh, a, a priest who has lost his faith in God. And he's, he goes to the, uh, his doctor and the doctor said, why, why don't you quit being a priest? And he says, it's my livelihood, which is a very funny line to me. Cause you never hear a priest talk about their like calling as Oh well, my! This is my livelihood. This is right. how I pay the pay the bills. How I make ends meet. Uh, so the movie's full of things like that. Some of them are very very beautiful. Some of them are very disturbing. Some of them are a little bit scary. There's definitely a sense of ominousness. It feels, uh, and I've been saying this since "Song from the Second Floor," which is 2002. There's a very Monty Python-esque, but like even drier. And you know, if you take "Meaning of Life," which if you've seen Monty Python's "Meaning of Life," could be which would be could be a very nihilistic movie. Um, dial up the nihilism dial down the comedy a little bit uh and you've got a roy anderson film so about endlessness i liked it a lot uh to a certain extent it is just another one of his films though <laughs> uh, um uh, n- and next up is also me i saw bakura which directed by oh kleber mendanzo i think it's his name who did um He's known, uh, in the States for his, his last one was called Aquarius. The one before that was called neighboring sounds. Uh, and this time he has te- uh teamed up. It's him. Clever of, uh, Fila and Juliano Dornells have made this movie called Bacarau, which takes place in the near future. I think there's a title card that even says like not too far in the future or something like that, uh, in this tiny rural Brazilian town called Bacarau. uh, that, you, you know, they're, um, they don't have any resources. The local government has to, has to sort of support them and doesn't do a very good job of supporting them with resources. Uh, and then they realize they notice on like Google maps or whatever, that their town no longer exists on a map and suddenly they don't have cell service. And it turns out we learn that, uh, the local government has sold to a group of, um, gringo tourists, the right to come in and kill everybody (laughs) like as
1: uh, a sport
0: hunting or whatever. Um, and the 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 tourists are led by Udo Kier, uh, is maybe the most recognizable uh, actor to non Brazilian um, uh, film goers in, in the movie. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really really good this movie. Um, it's not if you've seen Aquarius neighboring zones, it's not you know, Claverman and is like a big name on sort of like art house, international art house circuit. And the fact that he made this like pretty gory exploitation, exploitation movie. Um, that's also a pretty unsubtle uh, satire uh, is a surprise, but he's still a great filmmaker. And so uh, Julian or Dornell's, I don't know his work, but uh, he's uh, I, 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 the movie's very good all around. Um, uh, and, and yes, it is uh, um surprisingly, uh, gory for for that um and surprisingly funny for for what it is uh as well it, it has a lot of the feelings of of a western but um in, in the sense that you know it's a rural town and also there's like uh, the local sort of heroes to these towns are like outlaws kind of like a almost like a jesse james type you know um that's who the people who come in to help to like to help them are people who were like murderers and drug dealers, but they're the good guys to this small town because they're the only ones, uh, who are, who are standing up to it. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, surprising one of the movies in English because all of the hunters are, uh, American or other English speaking. And, um, yeah, I, I, you can read my reviews of all these on, on the website. Uh, I, feel, I, I feel weird talking at length about a movie that only I only I have seen. But um,
1: oh no, I feel like we're about to have a lot of one person talking. Yeah, yeah, I know. That, yeah. I gotta
0: like get into the into the the groove there. But um, uh, yeah, I definitely here, okay, okay, here's the thing. I'm, I was I was wondering when I was going to bring this up. I have this self consciousness about going to festivals because I know that there's a thing that is called the festival glow or I call it the festival glow where, yeah. uh, people are like kinder to movies.
1: There's like a festival and, hive mind thing that happens. Sure. And like, you know, I think like the kind of the energy of it, the crowd, the people hoping they're going to, and if it's a premiere, a lot of times the, a lot of people involved with the movie right. or who are really, <laughs> really excited to see the movie or there. So then I feel like that the spirits yeah. tend to be very high.
0: And so I, I try to, um, gird myself against that. But this Tiff, uh, I saw almost I, I I saw 15 movies at TIFF and another one that we'll get to later that I saw at a pre screening. Uh, it's only one movie I didn't like. There's a couple that I'm on the fence about There's only one movie that I really didn't like. And so I feel bad. I mean, I'm great. It was a great experience for me. I saw all these great movies, but I also feel bad that it's just going to be being like, that's awesome. I'm mean, gonna be like Chris, Far- Chris Farley, the, uh, the Chris Farley show. Yeah, it was awesome. So yeah, <laughs> uh, back around, uh, Yeah, from a notable international art house director, a very grimy, gory, exploitation, uh, um, sort of horror western comedy. Uh, Oh, sorry, uh, Siri heard me say grimy, gory, or or exploitation, so I don't want to know what she uh, wants out of that.
1: I don't know, but now I feel like we're in a horror movie where your cell phone is going to murder us somehow.
0: Yeah, that's... yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, sorry, I had to look. That series said so she's gonna murder us.
1: Okay, great. Glad to know this is the last thing I do before I die. <laughs> I guess I'll never find out what it's like to be almost thirty-seven.
0: Oh, that's so sad for you. <laughs> All right, so uh, shall we move on? Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's on, it's on to you now. I get to I get to take a break.
1: Okay, great. Uh, we're gonna talk about a film, another film that's in a very similar vein. I'm just kidding. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which I think people kind of know as being. I think people kind of casually think of it as being like the Tom Hanks, Mister Rogers biopic. But it's uh, the, one of the things I was surprised about by it is that it's really not that. Like Tom Hanks is a supporting character, and it's a lot less about. Who mr rogers is and more about what he meant to us like more about like it's not trying so much to dig into his psyche as just like you know trying to get uh, trying to understand why it was so important to us to have someone like him there like why he's like such, such someone who's been who's held such a been in such high regard for this whole time uh matthew reese plays a journalist who's been assigned to uh interview mr rogers for esquire it's based on an actual esquire article and uh you know like, he's a little bit skeptical of Mr. Rogers, but then they meet, and, of course, their lives are forever changed, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I'm being a little bit flip, but I actually really like this movie a lot. It plays, especially in the first half, like, it's almost like a Mr. Rogers episode for adults. Like, it kind of, like, does a lot of, like, the little, like, it recreates a lot of the Mr. Rogers-y okay things, except, except they're in service of telling the story. Uh, so, which I found to be really lovely, because I do think one of the things about Mr. Rogers is, like, he's someone who's thought of as a children's entertainer but like you ask any adult who ever saw his stuff growing up and they also kind of have this really strong affinity for him and I I really also like that the journalist kind of gets to be us in that he's you know, he's a little bit older and like wiser and a little bit more jaded, like a little yeah. bit more like, Hmm, I don't know. Like, was Mr. Rogers really all that like yeah. pure, like can someone like that even exist? And then, and then I think it really gets into why, uh, not just like Mr. Rogers specifically, but also that kind of like pure emotional openness is so important. Uh, it's directed by Mariel Heller, who's yeah. done, um, can you forgive me and "Diary of a teenage girl? And I think that in those films she's shown, She's shown herself to be such a sensitive director uh, you know she's just so good at like uh, grasping these really complicated emotions that people are dealing with and also at I think she's especially good at doing that with characters who are actually trying to be a little bit closed off uh, like can you ever forgive me was' about two characters that were kind of like that um, obviously this is a different kind of movie with different kind of characters but she, I think she does that once again really well here and I think it's interesting to watch her kind of take that approach to uh, dealing with two specifically male characters who kind of have this armor around them in very different ways Uh, so I I thought that one was just really lovely it's really entertaining but it's also just like really lovely
0: I'm really looking forward to it I Mariel Heller is has been uh, one of my favorite directors of recent years I I think I, I put Diary of a Teenage Girl on my top 10 list that year uh, can you ever forgive me I, it, can you ever forgive me didn't make my top ten list because I can never remember the full name of the movie no, I, 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 but I did like that movie a lot uh, as well so uh, I've been looking forward to this movie uh, mostly because of the pedigree of Mariel Heller
1: yeah, it's very good, um, and I, and people are very people in the audience that I thought were very moved by Mr. Rogers. At one point, the guy next to me started humming the theme song to himself during a quiet moment, and I don't think he even realized right away that he was doing uh-huh. it. Like he wasn't trying to be annoying; he was just really into it. Yeah. And then he abruptly stopped, and I was like, "Okay, he finally heard himself." But I, you know, like <laughs> that was like such a sweet, like, "Yeah, this is what Mr. Rogers means to us" kind of moment. So I think it does a good job of being like very emotional without kind of tipping over into this like false sentimentality which she, again, is quite good at.
0: All right, next up for me, uh, I saw the new movie by Wayne Wang. It's called Coming Home Again. Uh, And Wayne Wang is a director that I always find uh, really fascinating because he has made made sort of very uh, handsome sort of studio pictures. He made Made in Manhattan with uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez. He made Anywhere But Here with with Natalie Portman. Um, uh, Wait, is that Natalie Portman? Am I getting it confused with Where the Heart Is? Because they came out, like, the same time. But he made Anywhere Anywhere But Here, which is...
1: He made Anywhere But Here, which starred Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman
0: and Susan Spenden. Is Natalie Portman also in Where the Heart Is, then?
1: Uh, I think she might be.
0: Where the Heart Is is the one where she gives birth in a Walmart. Is that right? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Anyway, so Wayne Wang made those movies, but he's also made a lot of, you know, more, more art house type movies. And Coming Home Again is kind of... It's somewhere in the mix. It's still very much a Wayne Wang movie. It's very much a sentimental, you know, you can watch this with your parents movie and also this sort of daring formalistic experiment in the same way at the same time. It's about Mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Wang is from Hong Kong. This is about a Korean uh, family in San Francisco. The star is the actor and director Justin Chan, uh, who made the movie Gook a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yes. Okay, so he stars in it, and his he plays a character who is quit his Wall Street job to come back to his San Francisco home to take care of his mother while she's dying of cancer. His father still lives at home, but is, not, is, is useless, and his sister uh, has moved back to, to Korea. So um, the movie takes place, the major through line of the story takes place on New Year's Eve, as uh, um, it's everyone knows it's likely to be, the mother's last new year's Eve. And so he's preparing the traditional new year's Eve dinner that she would make every year. Um, um, making, uh, Galby. Is
1: that? Uh, uh, Yeah. It's Korean barbecue. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, sorry. I just realized I said, "Is that because you're Korean?" And I didn't mean—that's not what I meant. I—I I wasn't saying.
1: I'm it. so offended. Uh, I'm gonna stand up and walk out.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, yeah. So he's he's making delby and a bunch of other. Uh, sorry, how do you pronounce it again?
1: Uh, I mean the like the letter is is like a consonant that's like similar to a G and a K. Yeah. So that's okay. Because like, like the, the way you say it is fine. Because well, that's the
0: reason I I asked about it because I. I know what it is. I've had it. I've seen it on menus. Yeah, you but live when, in L.A. Right. But when the character in the movie says it, I was like, he didn't say what I thought he said. So have I been saying it wrong? I guess I have. The
1: continent is something that just doesn't quite exist in okay. uh, in English. Okay. Um, but the way you're saying it is close enough. It's like how it, it's how people who don't speak Korean say it. So it's totally okay. fine.
0: OK, so um, he's making food and it's the entire day leading up to the New Year's Eve dinner. But there's also flashbacks throughout um the 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 movie to to their um his history with with his with his parents um their sort of difficult relationship and, uh, and and all these memories and how it comes back to remembering how he was mean to his mom or how his mom took care of him and sort of like it's on the like I'm saying on the surface it's this very sort of like heartwarming and it is It like it was a movie that I found very very moving by the end but the approach is very still widescreen distant sort of stilted dialogue um a lot of the dialogue I have come to understand was improvised um he also does a thing all of the flashbacks that take place in the house which is almost all of them Justin Chan's character even when he's supposed to be playing himself 10 years earlier as like a high schooler is wearing the exact same outfit that he's wearing. He wears the exact same outfit the entire movie, even during the flashbacks, which really like destabilizes you sometimes. And you're not sure, like, am I watching a flashback? Like, is this, this scene of him laying in bed, writing in his journal, is this supposed to be an extension of the flashback that I just saw? Or is this actually taking place on the day while he's waiting for the food to cook? Like it intentionally fucks around with, (laughs) with you, uh, like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so some of the, I think Justin Sean is maybe not, uh, I didn't see, I didn't see the movie he directed. Maybe he's a great director. I don't think he's, he doesn't seem like a great actor to me. So he might be the weak or the weaker link, but, um, this, this mutating flashback structure really ends up being powerful because I don't want to give away where the movie ends but it kind of ends with a flashback that um act- actually after after 90 minutes of me watching this movie <laughs> kind of academically and sort of picking the part like from a formalistic standpoint suddenly there's a flashback break at the end that actually brought tears to my eyes and it really it really snuck up on me all
1: right um, um Justin Sean actually directed a different movie about an Asian American person returning home to take care of a dining relative this year it's Miss Purple it played at Sundance oh uh which where was one of two films about that because The Farewell is also about that so right. it's just you know how like every year sometimes there's like just a weird little trendlet that pops up out of nowhere yeah, well, I this year Asian Americans going <laughs> home to take Take care, dying relatives is just a is just a thing,
0: uh, and so is people hunting people, as we've seen. Because I mentioned yes, back around, but rarely in the, the same hunt. movie. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something, right?
1: Well, I don't know. Yeah, it would be something. Not saying something good, but it would be something. Yes.
0: Yeah, I have to make this meal for my dying mother while avoiding a
1: meal made these. out of people that you've hunted. That's it. Oh my god. Oh. Oh, we're going to TIFF next year with our own movie. This is exciting <laughs> for us.
0: Uh, all right. I think you're up next, right?
1: Yes. Uh, so the I saw Dolomite. Dolomite is my name, which is a new movie coming to Netflix sometime this fall. I don't remember the exact release date, but it stars Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, who created the character Dolomite. Um, and, you know, he's he, uh, he created the character, recorded a bunch of like stand up albums and things like that, um, you know, was just an all around entertainer. But I think I think especially like movie fans know him from. Um, making movies about the Dolomite mm-hmm. character starting with the movie Dolomite, which I think came out in, like, 1975. Uh, it's a really, it's a really, it's just such a crowd pleaser of a film. Like, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't think it was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be bad. I was like, sure, the trailer looks fine, like, whatever. Uh, but it's a, it's a movie that just played really fun to this, uh, the uh, a crowd that I saw it with um, I think Eddie Murphy is obviously very very good in it and I think he gets a I think and the character that he plays not like not just Rudy Ray Moore but then this Dolomite character this like more kind of brash Dolomite character that he invents is just such a crowd pleasing kind of character he's like the kind of character what that like when, the Dol- when Dolomite like takes the stage like everyone's already just like primed to have a good time so mm-hmm. I think a lot of that kind of comes through uh, in the movie and then um, as a character study I think it's like fine like it's you know you get to know who this character is it's good performance you understand what his motivations are and all that you don't really understand who he's outside his career aspirations but fine but where it really shines I think is like it ends up being a lot of the movie ends up being about the making of the movie so then it becomes one of those like let's put on a show movies where a bunch okay. of people who have a lot of like determination and pluck and energy and creativity but like not a lot of like technical know-how get together to like create something that's like kind of insane and uh, that part of it was just that like if you like that kind of story, that part of it is just so fun. Like, I was smiling the whole time they were doing it. In that sense, I think it's a little bit like the Disaster Artist, except a okay. little bit sweeter because the characters in Dolomite believe in Rudy the whole time, as opposed to right. the, dis- the disaster artists where part of it was that everyone was very skeptical of him. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun. And then there's um, the female lead is this actress, Devine Joy Randolph, and she is someone okay. that I had seen before. I had forgotten that she was in Selfie, so that's the other thing that I've seen her in. But in this movie, she has one of those performances where you're just like, oh, where you just kind of sit up and you're like, wow, who's that? Why isn't yeah. she in everything? So uh, I look forward shout to out I'll, to her.
0: Uh, I look forward to I'll have to see the movie even though I will, I will break my unofficial Lifelong Craig Brewer boycott. <laughs> never seen a Brick, never seen a Craig Brewer movie, uh, so maybe I'll have to now because everyone likes it. But what you reminded me of is, uh, did you see uh, on Twitter or whatever? Because um, Eddie, Eddie Murphy was at TIFF, and so was Jamie Lee Curtis, and they were in Trading Places together, and apparently have not seen each other since like Trading Places. 36 years ago uh-huh. and like met Do on the red carpet. Do you think asked and, like, her
1: how her Christmas was 35 <laughs> years ago?
0: <laughs> I certainly hope so. Um, but that was, that was sweet. Like the picture of them being t- like a picture of them together, you know, and, and Jiminy Curtis, uh, who's a delight, a delight, by the way. Um, you'll, we'll, we'll talk. I don't know if you stayed after knives out for the Q and a, but she's really funny. Um, but it's always a surprise to me because I subconsciously, I think, I think that all like, Famous people kind of know each other.
1: I don't- what you mean. Like,
0: at a certain level, like, don't you just see each other at the parties or whatever that all the famous people go to? I
1: think I assume that, especially because the other side of it is that sometimes there are celebrities where it never occurs to me that they would know each other, but yeah. then it turns out that they've, like, done SNL together, or they were at a party together, or that they were at, like, some awards show together, and they sat next to each other, and now they're friends. So, like, that yeah. happens all the time, too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know whether to assume they all know each other or whether to assume they all don't know each other. Yeah. It's gotta be one or the other. It, it can't be that some of them know some of them. And well, apparently it is, because
0: Murphy and Jamie Lee Curtis managed to spend 36 years not seeing each other, which is crazy to me. But uh That's I guess like
1: as long as I've been alive. How sad.
0: I've been alive just a little bit longer.
1: I know. You keep <laughs> mentioning it. It's been a whole theme of this podcast.
0: Alright, next up for me is uh my third favorite film of the festival. Favorite one I've talked about so far. And Angie, I'm sure you've had this experience. You know, because everyone has their Idiosyncrasies, the particular likes and dislikes. Do you ever see a movie and go, I love this movie? Immediately followed by, a lot of people are going to hate this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that.
0: One of my favorite working directors today is Pablo Lorraine. He made his English language debut a couple years ago with Jackie, but he also made uh, Neruda, he made Tony Monero, he made No, which is a big hit, Um, he made Postmortem. Uh, and then the club which I didn't see but anyway um, so his new movie is called Emma or Emma E-M-A and this is a movie uh, in, in which uh, speaking of a star making performance so 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 great that I can't remember her name because uh, it's a very long Chilean name Mariana de Guillermo, uh stars as Emma and she and her husband played by Gail Garcia Bernal at the time of the movie have recently given back they adopted child. I'm not sure what the term is for that, but they they adopted a child who was seven years old and was apparently we we don't we never we don't meet the child. We meet we see the aftermath. We see that he murdered the neighbor's cat. That he set Emma's sister's hair on fire. Like he was a bad seed, and yet these people are destroyed by what they've done. They've adopted the child, given given him a home, and then given him right. back. Yeah. You know, her other parents, other co-workers, uh, because she teaches dance at the school, like the... So all the other parents and teachers judge them, and um, so the movie already starts there. These two characters are already just feeling terrible about themselves, and it only gets worse. Their marriage falls apart almost immediately. She throws herself into cause she's a dancer and he's a choreographer. She throws herself into new kinds of dance, you know, more street, uh, hip hop, reggaeton type of dance. She also throws herself into many, many, many sexual affairs or one time hookups with men and women of all sorts. This is the kind of movie. I think this is the thing that made me go like, some people are going to hate this movie. This movie has so much, Sex in it, and yet you'd have to be a creep to find it sexy. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like it's constantly people like fucking each other, and it's just sad. Oh, like, <laughs> uh, and but meanwhile, it's also full of beautiful imagery. The very opening image of the movie is a traffic light on fire with flames like dripping into the intersection. This empty midnight intersection, uh, and you eventually know it comes back around and you realize what that is uh how that happened but there's there's all this beautiful imagery the 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 dan- you can see the um, i'm going to show you the 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 listeners can't see this but you can see the the one sheet um oh fuck uh you might have seen this at the scotia bank theater by the way uh looks like that um so there's this burning sort of it planet looks like a,
1: yeah it looks like a world is on fire yeah and and two that, people are in front of it
0: and that's the backdrop of the uh, dance show that Gail Garcia Bernal's character is choreographing. Um, and so there's all this beautiful imagery. It's incredibly, it's an incredibly depressing uh, movie and it's basically, it, to me, it's, it, um, it's much uh, as the, it starts out being about a couple, but it's obviously very much more about Emma. That's why it's, the movie's named after her. Uh, and to me, it's a movie about a woman who is become so unrecognizable to herself that she can't feel anything anymore and she she decides to torch her life in some ways literally uh, setting things on fire
1: so fire is a big motif in yes. this movie yeah. I'm yeah. sensing
0: there's a lot of fire uh, in fact one of the characters she hooks up with is a fire ma- a fire um, and uh, I absolutely uh, got such a kick out of it I know some people will hate it and another reason some people hate it what I haven't talked about and what I kind of just didn't really mention in my review at all is that it has an ending that comes out of left field. And I don't even as someone who loved the movie, I'm like, I don't know what to make of that, but I also like how much it commits to the ending. Cause like when the ending happened, I was like, what we're ending on this. But then there's like a whole nother, like 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And I'm like, okay, well we're committing to it, <laughs> which makes it better. But it also, I don't know what to make of it, but I'm not going to spoil the ending. Okay. But, uh, yeah, e- Emma, yeah, my like I said, my third favorite film of TIFF 2019. But I also understand some people are going to hate it. Oh shit! I'm a oh god! I got a bunch in a row right now, don't I? Okay, you have uh, a few
1: in a row, and then I have a few in a row. But we should probably
0: yeah. yeah all right, well, go. Uh, we have yeah. Um, we did a lot of talking up top, so we'll we'll burn through some more of these. First love, go. Uh, all right, it's my show. <laughs> all right, I know you got to get out of here, but uh, it's my show. Yes. So next up. Uh, first love. This is the one I, I saw this one before the, the, the movie and people who listened last week have already kind of heard me talk about it. Cause we did our fall movie preview. So first love at Takashi uh, Miike's new movie. Um, I sometimes hate him. I sometimes like him a lot. I like this one a lot. It's, uh, uh, about a, it, it's sort of a Takashi Miike's version of like a Hitchcock wrong man thing where this guy, uh, this terminally ill boxer who's an idiot and this, um, uh, uh sex worker that he, Rescues get caught up in a gang war and have to survive the night while uh, people are getting shot and getting their heads chopped off and stuff all uh, all around them. It's a very fun, very darkly funny movie. Um, so that's First Love. Next up is A Hidden Life, which is the new Terrence Malick movie. And oh, man, um, I love Terrence Malick movies. I don't know how you feel about Terrence Malick. Pro. Yeah. Uh, and this one is, uh, it feels like the most sort of By his standards, it's the most conventional movie he's made in a while, in that it has a very clear narrative, you know, beginning, middle, and end. No, there isn't, like, just a shot of
1: dinosaurs (laughs) in the middle or anything. Yeah,
0: no, it's not that kind of thing. It's based on the true story of Franz... Shit. Uh, Jägerstatter is his name. Franz Jägerstatter, who uh, was an Austrian who um, refused, when conscripted conscripted into German military service during World War II, refused to take the oath of loyalty to Hitler, which is something that everyone everyone had to take and, um, was imprisoned for refusing, continued to refuse and was occasionally, occasionally, eventually, um, executed. Um, and then now there's, uh, he's considered a great Catholic. He was beatified by the Catholic church. Um, not everyone knows what that means, but that's not the point. (laughs) This all happened after the movie, but, uh, the movie is almost three hours long. And uh, it just tells the story as I have just uh, related it. But so much of it is about um, like there's so much that happens before the 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 conscription or before his his uh, jailing where it's just him and his wife played by uh, oh, yeah it's August Deal um uh is is plays Franz uh and his wife is played by an actor named Veli Patchner. Pachner, Packner? I'm not sure. Um and a lot of the oh, beginning is just them in absolute very beatific Terrence Malick love with one another, just constantly like... Spinning. Spinning. Hands fields. through wheels.
1: Or wheat fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind
0: of thing. Um, and the, uh, it's really good. The movie's sort of about the idea of, like... We all would like to think we would have done X if we were in such a situation. Most of us probably wouldn't because of our instincts of self-preservation. Here's a story of someone who actually did do what we all would like to think we would have done. I'll say um, the longest standing ovation of the festival that I saw was not for the movie specifically, but when they brought August deal and Valerie passion out, Terrence Malick, of course, wasn't there, but that August deal and Valerie pa- those two actors in particular got, uh, a two to three minute standing ovation, um, when they, w- when they came out and, uh, very, very well deserved. Um, very, very good movie. I feel like there was something else I was going to say about it, but Angie's giving me this wrap it up.
1: Oh no, uh, not go on.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I can't remember what it was, what it was anyway. Um, Oh, yeah, it's also the final performance. So they must have shot it a few years ago because it's the final performance of Mikhail Nykvist, um, you know, uh, from the... He was in... Uh, he's in John Wick. He's the, <laughs> the main the bad guy in the first John Wick. Right. Uh, anyway, he died in 2017. And it's also one of the final performances of Bruno Gans, who died just earlier this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, also August Steele and Valeria Passner said that their first... Uh, she was cast already in his first audition. Very Terrence Malick detail was the, just them carving an apple together. <laughs> he didn't give me lines. <laughs> he was just like, you two sit here and carve this apple uh, together. And that was like their their chemistry test, I guess. Um, all right. So let's move on. We don't have to talk at any length about Honey Boy because we both saw it months ago.
1: But yeah, we both saw it at Sundance. Yeah.
0: Just to recognize that Honey Boy is coming out in November. It's pretty good, I think. Not, it's, it's not pretty, great.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. It feels I mean, it is like, you know, framed in the movie as Shia LaBeouf's therapy session and watching the movie, mm-hmm. it feels like you are watching Shia LaBeouf's therapy session. He plays uh his a fictionalized version of his own dad. Yeah. Um who's the kid? Is it Noah Jupe? Yeah, it sure Yeah, is. plays From the a plays place. the yes. Plays yeah. the um kind of Shia LaBeouf equivalent. And then Lucas Hedges also plays a sort of older, young adult Shia LaBeouf. Uh yeah, yeah yeah
0: it's not, yeah i think shia labeouf's really good in it um i
1: thought the kid was quite good in it as well and it okay. also made me really hope that shia labeouf was watching out from on set because now we know how horrible child yeah. actors well
0: hopefully Noah has a better be. a better dad uh also the acting debut of fk twigs yes um who else is clifton collins jr is in it martin Starr's is in it uh yeah right yeah
1: all yeah, right. yeah sounds all right good
0: so you're up next
1: Oh, we're talking about how to build a girl.
0: You, you are. I didn't see it.
1: Yes. Okay. I'm talking about how to build a girl. Um, so the star is Beanie Feldstein. Hurry, hurry up, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Don't turn the tables on me. That's so rude. <laughs> uh, so the star is Beanie Feldstein as a girl who lives in kind of the middle of nowhere in England in the 1990s. And uh, she in like a working class town and she reinvents herself as a music critic. Uh, and not only that, but like a famously <laughs> savage music critic. It's uh, based on a semi autobiographical novel novel by Caitlin Moran it's a movie that like I really wanted to love because like all these things kind of sound like all these elements sound very interesting to me and like that while I was watching it there were a lot of things about it that I did love yeah but it also just kind of ultimately you know like where you can like enjoy enjoy moments of it, but then you're like, but there weren't enough of those moments close enough together for me to kind of recommend the whole thing, and that's how I felt about it. Like, there's a lot about it that I admire and enjoyed, and, like, I, you know, I I laughed at some of the things, and some of the things were moving or whatever, but it just it just kind of felt like I I wish that I think there's a lot going on in that movie and I wish that they had kind of stuck to one or one or two plot threads and really dug into them instead of trying to cover so much ground like it's one of those things where I'm like I almost wonder if this would have worked better as like a miniseries, so you could like actually spend a proper amount of time with each topic that they want to consider. Either that, or they should have just picked, like, oh, this is going to be about, like, her and her dad, or her and her love life, or whatever, and just kind of, or her career, or whatever, and just kind of stuck with that. Um, I will say, though, Alfie Alfie Allen from Game of Thrones is in it. He gets to be a person who, first of all, looks like he's showered, second of (laughs) all, is very nice, and third of all, mostly has a nice time, so I was very happy for him, because this... Because I was just like, the last time I saw you, you were miserable and, like, getting your parts <laughs> chopped off and, like, filthy, and I'm I'm happy for you that this was allowed to happen for you.
0: Um, I didn't know... That. So, Caitlin Moran is British.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: But Beanie Feldstein's character is not British.
1: No, Beanie Feldstein just has a British accent.
0: Oh, so, okay, so the movie is... That's what I was trying to get at. Oh
1: yes, it's set. She's in, doing an accent. Yes, okay. she's doing an accent, which I I don't have a great ear for a British accent, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it. I did say that at first. I was like, hmm, but then as the movie went on, I got used to it. So I guess it, if nothing else, it's consistent.
0: Okay. All right, keep us going.
1: Okay. So, oh, we're going to talk about Hustlers, uh, yeah. which is a movie that, which is honestly, which like is one
0: out of, by the time you're hearing this, by the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's
1: I. I I I did not see it at TIFF. I saw it after I got back from TIFF at a regular press screening. But it was part of TIFF. And not only that, but it was one of the movies that I think was the most talked about at TIFF. Like, everyone seemed to lose their mind over how much they loved it. Um, I saw it last night. It's very good. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Lopez's introduction in this movie, I said this on Twitter, but it's just like, she gets an introduction where you just feel like you've just been socked in the jaw in like a really delightful way where you're just like, oh my God, who, like, like, who is this character? I would follow her to the ends of the earth like it's so it's a it's a lot of fun it's really smart it's really clever it's directed by lorraine scafaria and i think uh i think it does a good job of being like it's, it's it's about a lot of different things it's about like you know the um oh sorry i guess i should say what the plot of the movie is so it's based on a new yorker
0: uh, Look, it's out. Everyone's seen it already. Oh, okay. No, it's a joke. Then I not
1: Well, the, the very short version is that it's based on an article about um, some strippers who started running scams on their clients, which was that they would drug them, run up the bill, like, on their credit card, and then, like, pocket the money. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I think, I think people have been making a lot of comparisons, like, you know, it's got, it's it's a crime drama, and people have been comparing it to a lot to, like, uh, Goodfellas or Scorsese or something like that, uh, and I think it's. Yeah, I think I think that those comparisons are So there's a real
0: ripped. like anti-heroes. Like
1: it's a it's It's like
0: celebrating them or is it
1: I think that this is one of the ways where it's like Scorsese where it's like kind of both. You're like yeah. you get that th- like these that. are not you get that these are not like good people doing good things, right. but you're also kind of rooting for On them. Side. Yeah, you're like also that. kind of in love with them. You feel bad for like the people that get screwed over, but you're also just kind of like uh, yeah yeah. Did, so uh yeah
0: did you see there's near the elgin and winter garden theaters which is a, our uh, venues at tiff there's a strip club and the marquee said come see the real hustlers
1: oh is that i saw the marquee but i did not like i never got close enough to realize that it was an actual strip club and that's what they were yeah. they were referring to yeah. oh that's hilarious <laughs> good for them way yeah. to lean into the tiff marketing yeah
0: all right. So next up, we have. Uh, I think this is our first overlap.
1: Yes. Why don't you is, take this one? Because I did the last two, so you can start.
0: Well, I also want to hear your point of view. This oh, yes. is this. Oh, I said there was one movie I saw at TIFF I didn't like. It was Jojo Rabbit. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, it was it was kind of
0: everything that I was afraid that it would be, which is, uh, I, I, it, I think, kind of toothless, kind of taking the most obvious targets, and it's. You know, Nazis are dumb idiots. Is not like I want something a little harder edged than that. You know, like it gets a a character. Uh, I guess that's a spoiler. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna, gonna say. I'm gonna say. But um, you know, there's you've got. Well, first off, this is not part of my point. But you've got Rebel Wilson in the movie, which means I'm not gonna like it all the way because I don't like Rebel Wilson. I've literally never liked her in anything. Um, it, this is a
1: She's a very minor a role though. Like so that minor I that I wondered if she had a bigger role at some point, and it got cut down. Cause it's, it's a very small role,
0: but she's, yeah, she plays as like a Hitler youth camp counselor at the beginning and then goes on. to be we sing with
1: the premises uh, or do they? Oh
0: yes, yeah, So no? uh, it's a, uh, yeah, thank you. It's about a 10 year old boy in Nazi Germany who is, uh, fanatical about Adolf Hitler to the point that his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler played by director Taika Waititi. Um, but also, his father has disappeared from the war and is presumed to be a deserter. And so, you get the impression that um, his idolization of Adolf Hitler is about him replacing a father figure that he can be proud of with one that everyone makes fun of him for being the son of a coward or whatever. Uh, his mother is played by Scarlett Johansson in the best performance of the movie, I think. Um, and weirdly, the best part of the movie. But as much as this movie is a satire about Nazism, it works best as a portrait of single motherhood. To me, that that was those are the best parts of the movie, where Scarlett Johansson being a single mother, um, and then and then Jojo finds out that his mother is uh, harboring a uh, young Jewish girl in their crawl space, played by Leave No Traces Thomas and McKenzie. Uh, you've also got um, the aforementioned Alfie Allen and Sam Rockwell as more dumb idiot nazis who I mean, I, I, there's so much so many of my complaints i feel like are spoilers but like i feel like there's way too much either soft peddling like like yeah nazis are dumb huh like i was gonna say the rebel was something when she's like we Aryans are 1000 times more advanced than any other race now let's go burn some books and it's like that's not that's such an easy setup it's not even really a joke most of the things i laughed at had nothing to do with I mean to with me skewering nazis
1: to me it didn't work so much as like a movie about like teaching me that nazis are terrible because i know that uh, i think it was to me an interesting look at what it's like to grow up in this world. Because the thing about Jojo is he is a fanatical like Hitler youth kid, but it's also to him less about like a fully formed, like worldview and more just that he's grown up in an environment where this is kind of like, this is what he's been taught. This is what like, this is what everyone says is right. This is what, uh, and
0: this is what he has to do to belong Yeah. And like, yeah. also
1: it, it's like, it's a, to, for him. I think it's less about like him having this like really strict ideology and more about like him, like wanting to belong, having been taught that this is how it works and also part of it is just that like he's a kid and when you're 10 and you get into a hobby sometimes you just <laughs> you get like stupidly way. into it and so yeah. I think that's a little bit of it for, for as well so I thought that it, I agree to I agree, I agree with you that if you're looking for something that's really gonna like skewer Nazis then like I don't think it does a great job of that although I did find like the Taiko Itd version of Hitler to be amusing and I laughed um, I think it just works better as like a story about what it is like to be a kid growing up in this kind of world I also thought that for me th- I thought the kid actor was very good. Mm-hmm. Um I think kid actors sometimes can be a little bit like you you can always kind of feel them acting, but I think yeah. for in this when I was watching his performance I would kind of like that kind of part of it faded away. He was very convincing. Griffin Roman Davis is his name. Yes. And then I I also thought that Thomas McKenzie was very good and a very interesting counterpoint because so like she's she's someone who has grown up in the same hometown as them. Like you know, she even like knew his family before all the stuff happened. So then she she kind of serves as like a counterpoint to like he gets to be this person who is allowed to be a little bit oblivious allowed to have this like kind of uh, you know, very sheltered worldview in some ways. But like she is someone she it's coming at the cost of people, of children like her, who mm-hmm. just, you know, one of her things in the movie is that she's very, like, she clearly is distraught that she is, so she's a teenager, she's about to, like, you know, she was a girl, she's a teenager now, she's about to enter womanhood, and she's doing it all in the static crawl space, so it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that, I think the thing I was most worried about was how the tone was going to be balanced out, because it, and I think that it mostly works until it doesn't. Like, the first part of it is very twee, like, kind of like that Wes Anderson, like, kind of cutesy thing. Okay. Uh, And that kind of worked. And then I think that it was pretty well balanced out by kind of the more serious stuff. But then the last third where things really start to ramp up, I thought that that part, I was like, I don't know if I wanted it to be more dramatic or less dramatic, but kind of the, what they picked as the route to go with tonally, I was like, I don't think it quite works because it, it becomes more of a straightforward melodrama at that point. I don't think that's a spoiler to say too much.
0: No, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I had problems with the end that I think uh, it... I think the, the main character sort of arc gets kind of the movie kind of feels like, Oh shit, we need to ramp up. We're ending. We need to get this character to where he needs to be at the end. And it kind of happens a little too quickly. I felt like I also just felt like so many of the jokes fell flat for me. Uh, I, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't laugh at. Um, including some of the, Tekka Waititi as as Hitler stuff um, some of the well all the Rebel Wilson stuff but some of the Sam Rockwell <laughs> and Alfie oh, Allen Alfie S- Allen's barely in it Alfie like.
1: Allen is he's in it even less than Rebel Wilson but Sam Rockwell stuff I just I did not care for either yeah. like yeah,
0: I I, just, yeah, yeah. And there's things I can't say because it'd be a spoiler but I don't like where that character goes I don't know yeah I thought Scarlett Johansson was the best part as much as she's uh, a problematic fave IRL <laughs> she
1: was pretty good. All right.
0: Uh, all right. Let's move on to. Oh, it's your Europe. Just yes. Mercy.
1: Just Mercy. So Just Mercy is the uh, directed by Dan. Dan oh, I know his name. Is it Destin? Daniel, Daniel Destin. Or, Crittin, or the other way around. Something like that. I, I don't know. I, I feel so bad because I've never gotten it wrong until right now. So yeah. let's. Just but anyway. But so this it's the sp- guy who
0: made that uh, he did drastically overrated movie, Short Term 12, that everyone likes for some Calm reason. Calm down. Okay.
1: <laughs> he did Short Term 12 and he did Glass Castle. Those are among the movies he's known for. He's also going to direct um, Shang-Chi for Marvel, like, uh, next year or something. Anyway, so then this is the story of Brian Stevenson, who is a real person, um, who started a foundation called, I think it's called, like, Equality Justice institution or something. I'm definitely butchering okay. the name. But it's a—it's an organization that's dedicated to kind of uh, helping, like giving legal help to disenfranchised people or to people who are wrongfully convicted, people on death row, things like that. So then this is about him when he was kind of early in his career, played by Michael B. Jordan, and he encounters a, you know, series of death row inmates, the most kind of crucial to the narrative of which is uh, Jamie Foxx as a uh, man who was, who has been put away for the murder of a white woman, but it seems pretty clear that he is not guilty of it. Um, It's a movie that I would say is, it's. I think it's more important as a message than interesting as a movie. Okay. I, it's not like I thought, like, oh, this movie is terribly made and I'm bored and I hate it and it's like you know dumb or whatever. Uh, it's just very like kind of middle of the road. Like it goes, it like follows the arc that even if you don't know the story, it follows the arc that you already know it's going to because you've seen movies like this. Like there's nothing I think that kind of stood out to me in that in like the filmmaking as like oh that's a, that's oh that was a very interesting choice or whatever. That said, I mean it's an inherently powerful story. The message is really important. It's one of those things where I'm like, well, sure, if this gets more people interested in this, then great.
0: Maybe this is my white privilege. Yeah. But I feel like just knowing that you can make a movie that is all those things and can be really good, like Hidden Figures. It's fucking great. I loved Hidden Figures. Yeah. You know? I don't and yes I understand that I do have the privilege to be like eh, I'll wait for the better movie because because I'm not uh, these things don't speak to me as much as they do to uh, the people they're uh, they're about so I recognize my privilege but there's a there's a part of me that it's just like why couldn't you also make a good movie that uh, I know you're not I mean, saying I didn't see it and you're not right. and you're not saying it's bad but I'm saying this was everything you said kind of uh, um, confirmed what I I feared the movie would be
1: I mean as someone who also you know is like has some privilege in that regard I don't disagree with you it's a movie where I'm like this guy is really remarkable like obviously and I and like someone who's just really bold and not afraid of taking risks and I kind of wish the movie had a little bit more the movie about him had a little bit more of that same kind of spirit uh you know because he's not a conventional person so like Mm -hmm. but this movie about him does feel very conventional that said like I said you know, like I liked it. I just didn't love it or find it like super fascinating. Okay.
0: All right. Now we've got a couple more that we both saw. Uh, the first one being knives out, um, which I went in, you know, I, I have a real, uh, hit or miss track record with Ryan Johnson. When I like him, I really like him when I don't, it's the brother's bloom and I really hate it. (laughs) Um, or that speaking of overrated that, that breaking bad episode, fly the bottle episode. I never got what people like about that episode. It's so trying way too hard. But then he also made Ozymandias which was one of the best Breaking Bad episodes. And uh, how do
1: we feel about Star and, Wars? The Last uh, Jedi?
0: It's I think his best film. The okay. Last Jedi is the best Ryan Johnson film and certainly the best Disney uh, Star Wars movie.
1: OK. And then how do we feel about his new movie? Knives Out. Very
0: much. Mostly positive. Very much. Mostly positive.
1: <laughs> I would Very say much mostly positive. I would say it's
0: really good. I would say
1: the parts waiting for the butt.
0: Yeah. The parts. And I guess this is very, in a weird way, similarly to my problems with Jojo rabbit is I feel like the parts of it, that it's painting itself as a satire of our modern times. And and it has characters on the one hand. I like the characters are specifically addressing ongoing issues. You know, the uh, detaining children at the border and things like that are, are discussed, but I also feel like the movie wants too much credit just for acknowledging the things. Do you know what I mean? Uh Uh, And a lot of the allegories are kind of um, really uh, superficial. And it helps me a little bit that politically I'm on his side Mm -hmm. with what the movie is saying. Um, And I like the idea that it has this family of rich assholes, some of whom are on the left and some of whom are on the right, but they're all just a bunch of rich, privileged assholes. And part of the joke is that none of what they're arguing about actually affects them anyway, because they're so insulated from everything. I like that idea. And so I'm on the movie side because that's what it's saying. But again, I, I would have liked it to have either gone deeper or just been what it's really, really good at, which is an amazing mystery suspense thriller. That's kind of in the package. Did you stay for the Q and a afterwards? So Brian Johnson talked about how like it's, he describes it as a whodunit. They're selling it as a whodunit by strict terms it's kind of not and kind of is at the same time because it breaks a lot of the rules of a whodunit. There's almost nothing we can say about the plot, by the way, it has so many twists and turns. It's almost something I can actually say, but it's really like a mystery suspense thriller, you know, uh, that's in the package of, uh, of a whodunit, but it, it throws, uh, it throws narrative turns at you constantly. It's constantly changing. And by the time it's over, it's, you realize just Brian Johnson, who wrote the story, it's, So has so perfectly crafted a mystery story, Um, you know. It takes it takes balls to like say that one of your your Christopher Plummer character is one of the great mystery writers of all time, and then you're, you know, it raises the expectations for your movie, and then he does it. He makes a really great mystery. What did you think of Knives Out?
1: Uh, I think I more or less agree. I I really enjoyed it. I think as a, I'm just going to call it a whodunit because come on, all right, you're splitting hairs here. Um, As a whodunit, that's not me.
0: That's Ryan Johnson. Split. He said that. He said in the Q and A he said, whodunits are boring. He didn't want to make one.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so this is like when people make, quote, unquote, not a biopic. Okay, whatever. Right, yeah. This whodunit mystery, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's just just as a story that you're watching unfold with, like, all these twists and turns being f- thrown at you. And every time you're just like, oh, I see. This is what. He's like, nope, just kidding. Yeah. Here's this added wrinkle that you didn't like, that you didn't see coming. So, it's just on that level, I thought it was tremendously fun. The uh, characters are so fun and yep. so, like, perfectly written In that, like, yes, they're all rich assholes and like, but like, they're all like, I feel like the dialogue is really good in that, like like from like one line you understand like oh you're that kind of yeah. asshole yeah. like there's like that one guy that just like you know like is talking about like the um the the nurse who is a an immigrant and then he like has to quote the Hamilton immigrants line and you're just like oh you're that kind of asshole or yeah. like uh, another
0: who's great in the movie
1: right or like I think it's um Tony Collette's character who says like oh like I read a tweet about uh, an, an, an art yeah. thing like and just like things like that it's just I, I thought that that part is just so fun they all seem like they're having a blast well almost yeah. all of them um, but but like like you just see that Chris Evans is like, thank God I'm not Captain America anymore. I can, like, swear and be an asshole. You just see, like, yeah. Daniel Craig is like, oh, my God, I love not being James Bond. I love being, like, putting on this, like, big I very Southern much Eric got that him.
0: impression. Oh, uh, you know,
1: it's so fun. See,
0: like, seeing Knives Out and then seeing, like, here's the first pictures from the set of No Time to Die. And I'm like, Daniel Craig was having. I can tell from this picture, Daniel Craig had way more fun making Knives Out than he is making his
1: fix it looks, whatever. Yeah, it <laughs> looks like <laughs> all the actors people. are having fun. Watch, like, making this movie, I'm having fun watching it. So I yeah. really just enjoyed it. I think it's like such just a just an entertaining movie. And to me that was um, I think, and then I think the kind of messaging was secondary i I think it's hard to talk a lot about like the what we think. Does or doesn't work about the messaging, or what exactly it's saying, without getting into spoilers, right? Yeah, that's tough. Um, But I will say, like, roughly, it just—I think—I think think what I liked about it is it's a really classic story. Obviously, this kind of like whodunit thing, but it—it really feels like a movie that is set now, without really beating you over the head with it, or at least I didn't feel like it was. Like, it just kind of feels like these are characters that exist in the same world that we do, and kind of breathe the same air and watch the same headlines, and like are absorbing the same moods. So I thought that that Hmm. part of it was. Was uh was interesting? Uh yeah,
0: and then the 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 Q and A. The only people from the cast who were there were Jaden Martell, um, which is what we're all calling him now, not Jaden Lieberher, which was his old name. He changed his last name. Yeah,
1: it's his uh, uh, mom's name.
0: Yeah, I just it's weird. I had gotten. I knew who he was. I knew who Jaden Lieberherr was. People I mean, change their
1: names all the time. It's okay.
0: I guess that's true. Um, but he plays um, a uh,
1: young man who is, I, I believe they describe him as quote unquote literally a Nazi. Yeah. He's like always like on, him, on his phone. Uh, they like, also call
0: him an alt-right troll dipshit. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it was him and Jimmy Lee Curtis and Jimmy Lee Curtis is a delight. She's so much fun. She told stories. She clearly loves Don Johnson who plays her. Even though they don't love each other very much in the movie, they're not a very happy marriage, but she kept telling stories about Don Johnson. There's a part where he's so there's a character in the movie play out by Anya de Armas, um, who was she's, the, she's and, the
1: nurse of the um, the man who has died, the mystery writer,
0: yeah. And she uh is a uh, I guess a first generation Latin American or Latino American, Latinx American. And so Don John Johnson's character, who's the you know, the he fancies himself, he's like the the enlightened Trump supporter. Like he's like the, I like uh, hold your nose and like, you know, Oh, I don't agree with everything. Anyway, he's, there's a part where he's ostensibly defending her and then have like absentmindedly hands her his plate to clean up. Yes. Apparently Don Johnson just did that. That was not (laughs) written by Ryan Johnson at all. Don Johnson just, and and so Jamie Lee Curtis was very tickled by Don Johnson. She also told the story, uh, about um, being on an episode of Columbo, uh, I guess because they were just talking about murder mysteries. That was uh, it was a delightful story. I I, I never I, I, uh, I really like Jamie D. Curtis now. I found uh, and she's got a filthy mouth, which is uh, uh, always very endearing to me. People who cuss a lot, I like them. Right. Uh, and then next one, okay. Next one, we both saw the Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. We both saw the Lighthouse, right? Yes. yes. Uh, loved it. What did you think?
1: I uh, came out and I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) I was like, I think I liked it, but like, I wasn't sure.
0: No, was that when I saw you?
1: Uh, I think I was. I may have been leaving the lighthouse when you were going up to something else, I guess.
0: Yeah, I was going to something else. I don't remember what now, Um, because I didn't see it until later in the fest. But uh, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. uh, Any other
1: uh, <laughs> no, so, I mean, it's just a movie about uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Panson being, like, lighthouse keepers in, like, what is it, like, the late 19th century in, in like, a tiny New England island. Yeah. Uh, and they have really nothing to do but just be, like, be there with each other and take care of this lighthouse, and then things, things just get crazy.
0: Yeah, they kind of lose their minds, or maybe there is some sort of malevolent force in the water in the lighthouse, and maybe Willem Dafoe knows more that he's letting on. The movie... I, I, I made this joke on on Twitter that I'm dreading the like uh, YouTube explainer videos. Like, here's what's really going on in the lighthouse because there's so much. Robert Eggers just sh- throws so much crazy shit at you all the time that. I'm already exhausted by someone trying to like make a unified theory of what's actually happening in The Lighthouse. Yes. To me it's just characters losing their minds. And it is the thing that is a big surprise uh, uh for me is that I laughed more at The Lighthouse than anything else I saw at TIFF. I didn't go in thinking of it as a comedy. I don't know that you would even really describe it as a comedy, but Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are so goofy and so committed to their characters, their idiosyncratic characters and they're both being like I said, descent into madness, that I laughed more often at the lighthouse and sometimes for very sometimes it's that uncomfortable laugh there's a part I don't you know I don't like when animals get killed in movies there's a I part know where part. I
1: knew exactly what part you were going to yeah. reference because that was a part where like this is so fucked up but it's also like kind of hilarious yeah,
0: there is a part of an animal dying a very grisly death and it goes on for a while and I did just find myself laughing out of like I can't believe this um, there's also
1: a lot of like very like very very lowbrow humor like a lot of farts yes just like shit like that yeah um, yeah I, I what I I liked about it was like i was like you know like the witch was already kind of an unconventional uh you know horror movie that like i never saw it despite that it did really big. i mean like it was a, it was a movie about like people like in you know like it was a horror movie about like a family at the edge of the woods but they're all like it's like a it's like puritan you yeah. know era america and they're all speaking this like really thick accent and stuff like that so you're like oh i mean it's sure but like this is this is kind of unusual and then it seems like he he saw how well he how like you know how much kind of mainstream success he got with that one he's like ah well, huh, let me let me just be even more <laughs> obscure and challenging and difficult so they all yeah. like they speak in this thick accent they like it's in black and white there's a lot of it's, things that you don't understand what's going on not only is like like in black and white looking at.
0: it's in 1.19 to 1 aspect ratio yes it's even more square than a yes. than a 4x3 and it's, it's not like a the movie tone late 20s early 30s movie tone aspect ratio
1: right which makes it which gives it such like a feeling of like you feel like you're watching something really old that just got like recently unearthed uh, yeah. which is really interesting
0: but the score is uh, I, I think the I, sound
1: design is incredible sound
0: design is incredible the score is so great and the score fe- the score is very modern in many ways which i didn't Given that so much of there so much of the, like like you said, black and white, the aspect ratio, the set design, everything seems so, you know, old. strict to the period. Right. The score is very much not bad. And I loved I loved the score. Um, uh, there was something else I was going to say. Uh, oh, yeah. There's also you, you mentioned the way they talk. Uh, Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe's character in particular talks like an old salt, you know, an old uh, sea. I've seen you know, people the, the on Twitter legs,
1: compare and, him to the sea captain and the Simpsons. Well, that's the thing.
0: He, the, one of the funniest lines in the movie is late in the movie when Robert Pattinson <laughs> is finally losing his temper with Willem Dafoe when he says, you sound like a goddamn parody. And that's so funny because <laughs> the, I've spent, that's yeah. when you spend an hour and a half thinking that, the time, that exact same thing. By
1: the time he says it, you've already been thinking it the <laughs> yeah. whole time. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yes, I think it's, I, it's not something that I would necessarily be like, oh, I loved it. and I think other people love it, but like, it's, I, it's an experience and one that I am glad to have had.
0: All right, you're up next.
1: Okay, marriage story. Noah Baumbach movie. Uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson play a married couple who are getting divorced and they have a young child together, which obviously makes it really complicated, especially because he is a playwright or a theater director who wants to stay in New York, and she is an actress who wants to move to L.A. to pursue an acting opportunity. Um, so it's uh... Sorry.
0: <laughs> Sorry, without Tyler here. Uh-huh. I'm in charge of the thermostat at Tyler's house, and for some reason the air conditioning shut off. It's fucking 90 degrees outside, and it was getting really hot in here. Okay. Or at least I was. Yes. Um, Thank you. Sorry. So I got up. That derailed my train of thought a little bit. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Know, that's okay. Um, so it's a it's a it's a movie that is very. It starts out like very like. It, it's a movie that's very sad, and it starts out very sad, and like. Uh, but it's also, it's also got a lot of, like, little funny things. I think, I think, I think from the trailers, I expected it to be more of a straightforward, like, very emotional drama. But it's still got a lot of those, like, Noah baumbach touches. And, like, there's still a lot of, of things about it that's really funny. I think that what's interesting about it is that, like, obviously, like, you're like, oh, it's, it's called Marriage Story, but it's about a divorce. So that's, that's real ironic. Mm-hmm. And it is. But it's also, um, it ends up being also just a lot about, like, the relationship that these people are going to continue to have because they have a son together and how they navigate that. At. And I think it's really, really smart about it. It uh, really it gets into kind of the legal, uh, the Byzantine legal aspect of it, of like how two people divorce and split up their assets, including a young child and also like kind of the emotionally complicated parts of it. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I will say the performances are very, very good. If you like Scarlett Johansson, which apparently you do, then I, I do. think you will enjoy her a lot in this. Again,
0: I like her on screen. I don't like her, you know, That's okay. defending I mean, Woody a, Allen or saying kid. that she should be able to play uh, any character that she wants or, Regardless of race, she's a good actor. I, she yes. still
1: hasn't gotten to play Tree, which is very sad for her. But yes, no, she's really good in this. Adam Driver is, though. I think if anything, even better. Um, he's 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 one of those actors that like every like. I know I shouldn't be surprised anymore when he's good in something because he's always good. And yet he always is so good and does something so striking to me that I'm always like surprised all over again. of like, holy shit, Adam Driver. So I think. uh,
0: Yeah, but he does. I've said this about weirdly. We talked about Knives Out and didn't mention Michael Shannon once, which actually proved my point that Michael Shannon has been so good for so long that I've stopped commenting on it.
1: I think it I think it proves that and also that Knives Out has a really big cast, <laughs> which it true. does.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh so yeah, I think that's I think that's what I'm gonna say about marriage story. It's uh, very very good.
0: All right, well, next up is Pain and Glory. Speaking of Woody Allen, uh, this is Pedro Almodovar's <laughs> Woody Allen movie. Uh, I don't know if I would really call it that, but that's uh, kind of my little joke. Uh, it's Pedro Almodovar's sort of auto-fiction, which is why I call it a Woody Allen movie, because he would do that a lot, uh, movie in which Antonio Manderas plays a film director very much modeled on Pedro Almodovar. Uh, within the movie, uh, Antonio Manderas' character, he's in between, he hasn't made a movie for a while, and doesn't, currently plan on making another movie um, and then he gets called by the local sort of cinematech who are going to do a, re, uh, a revival of one of his earliest films he reconnects with the star of that earlier film whom he hasn't talked to in in over 30 years much like Jamie Lee Curtis and Eddie Murphy <laughs> except in this case the actor gets there is a character, uh, hooked on heroin and then it becomes a heroin drama for a little bit, but not even really. Like it's kind of oh. a heroin, light heroin comedy, but he's like, but also it has dramatic parts where you're like, Oh yeah, this guy's addicted now, but also it's much more about his, his life and it, and it, it goes on from there to other, uh, other things. And you sort of get all these, uh, flashbacks, um, to him as a child, Penelope Cruz plays his mother in, in flashbacks. Uh, and, and yeah, it definitely feels, I don't know if Pedro, Pedro Maduro himself ever had a heroin problem, but a lot of the movie, uh, apart from that feels like it's semi autobiographical. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it culminates in a, it, it feels very episodic and then culminates in a way that, uh, kind of like coming home again, I didn't see coming. And then, uh, uh, it was a very effective, uh, Okay. when it got there so yeah Pain and Glory I think uh, um, is is really good now so the next movie you have to talk about without spoilers
1: Parasite I, I haven't
0: seen Parasite yet
1: okay can I say what the premise is about spoilers I,
0: I, I don't know because I haven't seen it oh
1: should I not tell you what the premise is okay uh, well I will tell you it's a new movie by Bong Joon-ho Okay. Yes, so I can say that much, Yeah. and then I can say what the basic premise is. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, I mean, all right. So the premise is basically it's a story about two families um, who live in the same city, but one is a rich family and one is a poor family, and then uh, their lives intersect. Okay, is that a very vague? Yeah, that's more than, than I knew about uh, it. But about that's, uh, it? that's
0: okay. good to good to know. I'm, I'm not usually spoiler phobic. No, I get it. I, I just the way that people talk about this movie, I feel like I guess I should. Oh, trust try to me, avoid. the part
1: that I told you is just that is not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot that happens in it, and I have just told you the most basic (laughs) kind of summary of the premise of it. David is laughing because I almost elbowed a water glass and spilled water
0: everywhere. But it was less than the fact that you elbowed your glass, and it was, uh, I don't know, I think of you as a person who's very, like, in control. (laughs) And you had a sudden look of panic on your face.
1: Listen, (laughs) as I I am always telling to my husband, the reason I am such a clumsy person is because, like, you know how, like, rom-coms, like, you need the female character to have, like, a relatable flaw. If I weren't clumsy, I wouldn't be relatable because I would just be too perfect. Yeah. So, uh, yeah.
0: And yet, I I actually relate more, as a pretty perfect person myself, I relate more to the perfection part. (laughs) That's...
1: That's us. Two perfect people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yes, Parasites has nothing to do with that. Um, it, it ends up being, I'm going to try to be very careful about how I speak about this because you clearly don't want to know that much about it. But I will say. But I
0: also love looking out for the listeners who are, might be more spoiler than I am. Very, uh, it's
1: very, it's, first of all, it's great. It is one of my favorite films that I have seen this year. So I will say off the bat that I think it's really good. I think um, he, he's, it, it's a story and a movie that shifts shapes a lot of the, like, as it goes on, like, you keep being like, oh, it's gonna be about this, and then it kind of turns into something else, and you're like, oh, it's doing this, and it's like, then the narrative, like, takes a hard left, and, like, things like that, so, like, it's something that kind of keeps you guessing, and it's, you know, that could be something that is very challenging, but I think works, uh, that he that I think he pulls off really well. Like, we've all seen movies that kind of try to do that, but it just ends up feeling disjointed. This one, it feels very coherent. And I think, like, tonally also, like, it it can be very funny. It can be very angry. It can be very sad. Like, it's doing a lot of different things. Um, but it all kind of works really beautifully together. And then it ends up being a, uh, I guess you could probably have guessed from the premise, it ends up being a lot about kind of the class class system, sure. class differences, capitalism like that kind of theme and I think that the way he explores it ends up being really interesting and really nuanced um, but then on top of that it's also just a lot of fun. It's a movie that like, while you're watching it you're just like oh my god what's going to happen now and uh, yeah he does a lot of interesting things in terms of like shifting the sy- your sympathies with like certain characters or things like that so yes kind of kind of vague but yeah. um, but coming
0: out soon right or at least I
1: think it comes out in about a October? month or
0: something yeah, like October, it's, it's sometime
1: yeah. the fall it's pretty soon so people will be able to yeah. watch it soon
0: so yeah yeah I, well i'm not too sad to have missed out on edit tiff because i know what it, it is coming out um soon as opposed to the next movie which i don't think is coming out until 2020
1: i don't know when it's coming out uh
0: the personal history of david copperfield which is one of my uh uh movies that i was most looking forward to because i love armando ianucci's movies um mm-hmm. i uh i loved in the loop I still live in the loop. And then Death of Stalin, I thought was even an improvement on that. I've watched Death of of Stalin multiple times. And I was curious to see how is this guy, this foul-mouthed, you know, cynic, (laughs) um, going to make a Charles Dickens adaptation and he manages to pull it off Beautifully. It's whimsical. It's fun. It is after the White House, the second funniest movie that I saw uh, at at, at TIFF. Um, And yet it doesn't lose his edge. It is effectively sentimental, but also self-aware in the way of his movies modern in the way much like death of Stalin, the characters talk in a very modern cadence, despite it taking place half a century earlier. Uh, and this, and this has a lot of the same, uh, the, the, the same sensibilities. There's a, there's a scene very like the first scene of the movie, I think, uh, or one of the first in which, uh, Tilda Swinton's character meets uh, the character, named Peggotty and makes fun of her name and says, you know, did your parents sneeze when you were born? And then Peggotty has a super funny comeback uh, that I won't go into here. But um, the movie, I, I laughed constantly. Like I said, self-aware there is a part of a character um, sort of uh, <laughs> the character says her name and like we don't realize until she says her na- her last name that she's related to another character. Right. Do you know the part I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says it with a pause. Like, my name's blank. Like, if I was going to say, my name's David. backs, And then immediately he was like, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> because that was clearly just for the audience. I thought the, that kind of stuff was hilarious. Um, the cast is great. You've got Dev Patel. I mentioned Tilda Swinton. You've got Hugh Laurie. You've got Benedict Wong. Um, uh, I'm missing probably some some big ones here. Uh, oh yeah, Ben Wishaw, uh, whom I've always loved. Um, I really really like the personal history of David Coverfield, Angie, what do you think?
1: I thought it was okay. Really? Yeah. Like I mean, I didn't like I was like the whole time I was watching, I was like, I'm not like mad that I'm wa- watching it. I'm you know there are things about it that I enjoy. I laughed several times, but, but like I came out being like. I don't really know why this was a movie that he decided that he had to make. Like, I mean, I was like, on oh, oh, the one I, I was like, I was hypothesis. like, I was like, oh, it, you know, good for him. He's branching out. Like, it, as you point out, it's it's uh, while it shares some of the sensibility, it's essentially it turns out to be a very different movie than what we are used to seeing from him. So I, th- I guess I was expecting it to be a little bit, have a little bit more of his sensibility injected into it or something, because when I walked out, I was like, I mean, it was fine. Um, the performances are kind of fun, but like, I feel like on the whole, it was just like, what I liked about it and what I found very like kind of eh about it kind of bounces out to where I'm like, eh, I mean, I'm not mad that I saw it, but it's also not something that I'd probably tell other people that they, they need to see.
0: Well, uh, I'll give you my hypothesis as to why he made this movie. I think, okay. it, I think it might be, I don't know if this is true or not, because I don't know Armando Iannucci, but it might be his most personal work. Because I think, so the, uh, David Copperfield, the character that Dev Patel plays, uh, is an aspiring writer, and everything we're seeing is sort of the fodder for what will become his life right. as a writer. Um and I think... Uh, and
1: it was a semi-autobiographical our, right. work from Charles Dickens himself. So Yes, yes. much
0: like Pain and Glory. Uh, <laughs> is, Pain and Glory is to Almodovar, as David Copperfield is to Charles Dickens. Um, but I think Armando Iannucci, as this very wordy, loquacious dramatist making a movie about a character learning the importance of words and their performance. Because one of the things, one of the through lines of the movie is as he his he moves up and down in station through English you know, uh, class and English life throughout the movie, and wherever he goes, he is able to adapt to the way of speaking you know he changes his accent he learns how to say uh, ear instead of hear you know uh, obviously I'm not going to do the but that's a whole thing where yeah when Peter right, Capaldi right. you didn't mention teaches him how to sort of talk a little cockney and so I think that that focus on the importance of of words and their performance to our survival and our social thriving I, I think is is fits in with with Armani Newt's idea of himself
1: okay. that's my guess sure
0: I didn't look at what's next.
1: Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is all you, buddy.
0: My second favorite movie of the festival. I love how We're working my way up for <laughs> third, second. Um yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You're going to love it. Angie, you got to see it when it, when it comes out. I really wanted to um, and then
1: I just didn't fit into my schedule, but I'm sad that I missed it.
0: Uh yeah, I'm really glad that I did cuz I did actually kind of squeeze it in. I was very tired during, it, but I uh, I really loved it. Um it's a it's a French movie uh, about a uh, takes place in the I don't know, late 1800s. I'm not sure early 1800s maybe I'm bad at this um
1: it takes place in the past it takes place in the past
0: and there's a um uh, a young sort of lady noble woman lives on a a, an, an island off of off of France off of Normandy um no off of Brittany I can't remember not important and uh she, her mother, played by the great Valerio Golino, um, is trying to marry her off, but needs to have a portrait painted to, to send to this Milanese gentleman to approve of her daughter before he's going to marry her. And she refuses to have her portrait painted because she doesn't want to be married off. And so her mother hires this painter, this woman um, uh, played by ah, I can't remember name anyway, but a, a, a young woman to come paint her, but under the roofs of being hired as a part of the help. And then her job is to like study this woman, this young woman, and then at night in secret, uh, paint her. And then, um, this movie is going to garner so many, com- and in fact already has started to garner many comparisons to call me by your name. And a part of me wants to be like, Oh, that's facile. But a part of it is also like, yeah, there actually is kind of a lot of overlap because these two women fall in love and have, uh, this, um, uh, beautiful romance and and love affair, and uh, I'm not going to go any further than that in in, in telling the story. But uh, the movie is surprising. It's it's rich. It's Uh, incredibly romantic and at times incredibly erotic despite the fact it's sort of a counterpoint to what I was saying about Emma which has a lot of sex in it and is not sexy Portrait of a Lady on Fire I think is a very sexy movie even though the sex in it is not explicit Um, I
1: think that's true a lot of the times a lot of the sexiest scenes are scenes that are not sex scenes or like that are very kind of uh, you
0: know restrained maybe because I have uh, lesbians uh, in mind talking about this movie one of the sexiest scenes in recent cinema recent years is in the handmaiden which is the woman filing the yes, other one's tooth, I was like about tooth that down too. it's not a sex scene at all and yet it's one of the most erotic things that's happened on on a cinema screen in the last five years right um and yeah so if you like the handmaiden and if you like call me by your name you will probably like uh portrait of a lady on fire it's,
1: i mean i like both of those but they're yeah. very different movies
0: yes and this one uh has its its own uh it, it, its own tone, its own uh, wrinkles that I I won't get into, but it's it's uh yeah it's absolutely enchanting and beguiling, and my second favorite movie of the festival.
1: All right, I'm looking forward to it. And then next up is the report, which is another one yeah. that you and I both saw at Sundance, right? Yeah, we don't
0: have to go into much detail here. It's coming out in November. Uh, it's
1: it's uh, Adam Driver plays the um, Senate staffer, I think, tasked with compiling a report on into the uh, or the it, it's the torture report yeah, that's yeah <laughs> if you see the trailer it says the torture report and then torture gets blacked out so it's just called the report ah. uh, which is cute but also the report is a really boring title fortunately movie <laughs> much less much like less boring than you think based on that very boring title which sounds like it's gonna be about Adam driver writing a book report uh, yeah. it's uh, it's I think it's I think it's kind of got like that like spotlighty vibe where it's a lot about oh, okay. like the investigation and kind of the work that goes into yeah. um, uncovering this and kind of in like through that kind of shows you you know that it's not just a work of like one person being an asshole it's like how there's a whole system behind it so i like that about it uh adam driver again a uh, person yeah. that is just i
0: and think a huge that this, cast. you've got you've got an opinion you've got john Hamm. it does yeah. uh
1: i think though that this movie works very much because he is the kind of actor that like you know how like there's like that that thing, thing people say like oh such and such is an actor i love so much i go watch him read the phone book but like Adam Driver really is like cuz a lot of his a lot of what he has to do in this movie honestly is deliver exposition and like yeah. explain things and I think that if it was an actor who was less compelling it would have gotten really boring but I yeah. think that he is someone that like that he, he's one of those actors that like doing nothing he is more interesting than a lot of actors like acting their faces off so uh so I think it works, and I think a lot of it is thanks yeah. to him.
0: Yeah, I was very I was pleasantly surprised by it at Sundance, so check that out. Uh, next up is one I'm jealous of that I didn't catch, because I really wanted to see Seaburg? Yes. Oh, you don't
1: have to be jealous. It wasn't that good. Oh, that's too bad. It was one of the movies that I liked the least at the festival. I liked most of the things. Um, so this one stars um Kristen Stewart as Jean Seberg, mm-hmm. the uh, movie star, and it's it's set in the late 60s and it's really it's not so much about her career as it is about how the FBI started to investigate her and start a campaign to discredit her at, because of her involvement with like the civil rights movement and the black power movement. So it's about that. Mm. So there's that. And then the other side of the other main ish character, well, he's a supporting character, but the other kind of like, you know, a character who's doing stuff is that one of the characters played by Jack O'Connell is an invented FBI person who is part of the. He is part of the campaign uh, to like he's he's part of the team that's out to do all these things. There, so those narratives, you know, kind of obviously intersect and whatnot. It it is a movie that I uh, like for the first part of it, it kind of plays like a boring biopic. It does start to get interesting once it once it devolves into like how paranoid this makes her because it really just destroys her life. Like this no this like she knows she can sense that she's being watched and followed and that people are out to get her, but they're doing it in such a way where like when she says that, it makes her sound crazy uh so i think that it kind of i think that part of it's kind of interesting Kristen stewart is you know good especially in those kind of uh in the in the bigger parts um but i think that ultimately it just didn't I wish that it had dug more into that or something. I don't know. It just ended up feeling like a weirdly conventional movie, despite having a plot that just, I mean, it's, it's a true thing that happened, but it's yeah. like one of those plots that are like, this already sounds like a movie and I'm disappointed that they didn't make a better one out of it.
0: Yeah. There's so many, you know, uh, we, last week on the phone movie, movie preview, we talked about this, um, because I'm looking forward to Judy even though I know it's probably not going to be good. But, the boss was
1: pretty good out of say. That's good.
0: Yeah. Because a lot of things, a lot of times it happens where it's like, wow, an actor I like is playing a person I'm interested in. And then it ends up being like you know, uh... The, Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh... being Rhapsody is a good one. I was going to say the one where Benedict Cumberbatch was, uh, was Alan Turing. I already uh, the name of that movie. The Imitation Game. The Imitation Game. Or like, I didn't even see Stan and Ollie last year.
1: I didn't see that. But I'm always... what Eddie I'm, Redmayne I, does this a lot.
0: Uh, the one the one that I was hold up is I'm always I always want each one to be I, Tanya. I, Tanya ended up being the movie oh, that I wanted yeah. it to be. Uh-huh. Uh, but so often they're not.
1: Yeah, um, this isn't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, you mileage me very, I do think that I've. I, I
0: didn't know. Really, oh, go just, ahead.
1: Yeah, I just I, I don't think I've talked to that many people who loved it. And like the thing about the Jack O'Connell character, I think that also just really drags the movie down because he ends up being like he's more of a like a plot device slash moral compass than like an actual character. But he takes up a lot of the screen time. So you're just like, can we please?
0: I didn't realize until just now that it's from the director of Una, the controversial movie from 2016, which I did not see. I saw it. Is it any good? It's okay. Did you see it just because of the controversy?
1: No, I saw it because I like Ben Mendelsohn. Okay.
0: I like Rooney Mara, but, uh, it looks like a real icky movie to me. Um, is it, it was it
1: was better than this movie because it's it was more streamlined, okay. so it was easier to understand what Uno was at least trying to do, regardless of what, what you thought this succeeded. All uh, right, yes. So
0: I've got a few to burn through here, a few to burn through here. You have three I'm, in a row. I'm um. Uh, surprised and saddened for you, Angie, that you didn't see Sound of Metal. I wanted
1: to see it, and I had to trade in my ticket for Just Mercy because my editor wanted me to watch Just Mercy uh, and said I was so sad.
0: Because if I know your Twitter right, you are a Riz Ahmed fan. I do like him. Uh, So Riz Ahmed is a total hunk in this movie. Uh,
1: (laughs) Tell me something I don't already know.
0: Yeah, he spends most... Oh yeah, I forgot about your thing about arms. Because he spends most of the entire movie with in wearing t-shirts with the sleeves cut off. <laughs> so this is so Angie and she's going to love this movie.
1: All right. Tell uh, me about <laughs> other, other parts of this movie that are not just about my lust for various celebrity men
0: uh, and their arms specifically.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, <assume laughs> I don't know
0: why you want things... me get into your arm fetish.
1: <laughs> it's not an arm fetish. This is why I, I have you on okay, the show. Fine. All right. It's not t-shirts with the sleeves cut off. It's that every, and I think a lot of straight women will agree with this. It is weirdly hot when a guy has long sleeves that he then rolls up to the elbow. I do not know why oh, okay. this is a thing, but I have talked to many women, many, many women who agree with me. And uh, yeah.
0: But that also seems like. Like, I'm really into women who like wear necklaces or whatever like every guy does that. That's
1: why I don't get it. I don't this is what I mean. I can't understand it. It's like not an unusual thing. It uh, is very common but somehow it makes every guy like 10% hotter when he rolls up his sleeves. I do not know why it works on almost every man.
0: I didn't realize that I was such a thirst trap every day at work. Yeah. That's how I walk around all day every day at work. (laughs) I mean
1: I do like my sleeves are rolled up right now but it doesn't yeah I don't know. Anyway so now that we have gone off on this tangent Okay. So
0: we because
1: I am very curious about this movie on yes, its own. Riz Ahmed and merits. his
0: sexy arms play the drums. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he's a drummer in a in a heavy metal band. Uh, his girlfriend is the lead singer, played by Olivia Cook. And then very suddenly, and for reasons that he medical reasons he doesn't understand and are never really explained, he loses almost all of his hearing. Um, which is obviously uh, detrimental to anyone, but he, uh, also a you know he's a music musician and. Um, he ends up going and staying at this sort of, uh, retreat, which is for deaf people who are also addicts because that's the extra wrinkle of the movie is that he is a four year sober recovering heroin addict. Um, and so most of the movie is uh, Olivia cook is great in the movie, but she's gone for a huge section of the middle. Cause it's just Riz Ahmed at this retreat with, um, with other, other deaf people uh, sort of, he's sort of just learning how to, he's learning how to sign and he's just learning how to be a deaf person in the world. And yet the movie, um, not in any other way, but just in this one specific way reminded me of don't worry, he won't get far on foot, which is, ostensibly about a movie uh, a movie about a guy who uh loses uh who becomes a quadriplegic but is really a movie about alcoholism uh sound of metal in much the same way is a movie that is uh um a trojan horse movie about about addiction um but it's also it's it's the first uh fictional feature from darius martyr who wrote uh the place beyond the pines and um for a writer turned director, it's, uh, surprisingly filmic and cinematic, uh, especially in its use of sound to, to, uh, get you into the headspace of, uh, of, uh, the character named Ruben, um, and uh yeah it's uh, it's really really great i'll also mention that uh a lot, he worked very closely with the deaf community and a lot of the deaf characters in the movie are played by deaf actors um and the movie was shown and according to darius martyr is intended to be shown everywhere with closed captions he wants hearing people and deaf people to experience the movie together and so uh, I guess if he has his way when the movie does get a, a, a release it'll be with with captions do uh, we know
1: when it's coming out? Uh,
0: I don't know uh, I, I, you're the movie journalist you uh, are supposed to know these kind of things I don't know. I just have a podcast alright um, All right. All right uh, next up is a movie that I absolutely could not this was the reason I didn't go see Parasite is because the P&I was up against the final film by Agnes Varda sorry Agnes Varda I gotta be uh, pretentious about that Agnes Varda it's called Varda by Agnes um, and it is a two hour sort of retrospective of her career hosted by herself sort of built around she would give these talks about filmmaking about her career um, and and so there's footage of her giving these talks at museums and universities uh, but it had been described to me before I saw it. people who saw it like a can or whatever said that it's like oh it's a glorified TED talk and I, I think that's not what that's never what Agnès Farta was going to do. She so she's so capable of thinking in cinema that very little of the movie is actually just her sitting and talking. There's a lot of footage incorporated in in um uh innovative ways. There's a because the thing is she made a movie in 2008 called The Beaches of Agnès which is a career retrospective <laughs> and so there's parts where she's like i'm going to show a clip from cleo from five to seven now but the clip that it throws to is a clip from the beaches of Agnes of her talking about cleo from five to seven then we see some of cleo from five to seven so it's uh it, it, it's 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 layered she also has uh new interviews with old collaborators and i would say the big difference between varda, varda by agnes and the beaches of agnes Even though they cover a lot of the same material, ostensibly, is that *Beaches of Agnes* is very autobiographical. It's very much about her and her life, and how her life interacts with, and is informed by, and has informed her her movies this one is much more career focused and much more filmmaking focused. And, and, you know, here's why I chose to shoot this film this way. And so there's, and there's interviews with her cinematographers and with actor with, uh, Sanjay who is the star of Nineteen Eighty Five's vagabond. They do a new, uh, uh, interview together. So this one is much more focused on the actual filmmaking part of her life and career. And, uh, it's not as, uh, Sublime has The Beaches of Agnes, uh, but it's a very fitting uh, final film from Agnes Varda. And then finally, on to my favorite film of TIFF 2019, Ooh. Pedro Costa's *Vitelina Varela. Um, Pedro Costa is a Portuguese director who has made uh, films almost exclusively about, even though he is not Cape Verdean, his movies have been almost exclusively about the Cape Verdean minority immigrant population in uh, and around Lisbon uh, Portugal um, most of them very poor uh, and many of them characters who have shown up They're, he's almost made like a cinematic universe I guess of these characters in, in fact the character Vitalina Varela the movie is named after is played by an actress named Vitalina Varela who was in Horse Money which was the movie he made in 2014 I think the, the last feature that he made and um, and this is a bit of uh docufiction ethnofiction whatever you want to call it that is loosely based on Vitalina Varela's actual life she grew up in Cape Verde lived most of her life in Cape Verde was married to a man in Cape Verde who then moved to Lis- Lisbon and you know was like essentially setting up a house for them and sending money back or whatever but spent almost 40 years with her husband living in another country and then as the movie starts he has just died and so she is making her first ever trip to Portugal to settle her husband's affairs the husband that she hasn't seen in almost 40 years Uh, and so most of the movie is just her um meeting his friends uh sitting alone in his house talking to his priest um and it's you know, to go back to the beginning of the episode, I talked about Roy Anderson's style. Um, and Pedro Costa's style is, in weird ways, very similar in that every scene is a single take, that it doesn't move. And uh, he sets the, s- sets the atmosphere with sort of off screen sound. So you have like, most scenes will be like two people alone in a room, but you'll hear the sound of another couple arguing, because it's like in a housing project, another couple arguing next door or kids playing outside um it's a very meditative uh uh and and deliberate and immersive movie that's that's also incredibly beautiful and filmic and sparse um you know he uses very high contrast lighting you know everything takes place movie shot almost entirely at night with unfiltered you know harsh lights at the parts he wants you to look at Um, mostly in grays and browns and blacks um uh, and then there'll be like a pop of purple uh here and there and it's just an incredibly patient way of making a film it's incredibly patient or at least patience demanding way of watching a film uh i've enjoyed his films before 2006's colossal youth which uh is a weird place to start but that's where i started because it's two hours and 40 minutes long this one's just over two hours long um uh is is I think one of the uh, closely is one of the best films of the 21st century so far. *Vitalina Varela* I think uh, rivals it. Is 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 up there with that. So um, I don't know when this one's coming out. It actually just won the main prize at the *Locarno* film *Locarno* film uh-huh. festival uh, uh-huh. just back in August. Um, and uh, definitely, yeah, check it out when you get uh, a chance if you're lucky enough to be in a place where it ends up playing because it's not likely to get a. Uh, a a massive release unless I'm wrong that would be great if it did but uh, Vitalina Varela my favorite movie of TIFF 2019
1: yay unfortunately we still have two more movies to get through for the podcast yes Uh, so I will do Waves which is a new movie by Trey Edward Schultz he did um, uh, It Comes at Night and and uh,
0: and this is one I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk this is one I was like oh I liked It Comes at Night but I can wait but then everything people said about Waves I was like fuck I wish I'd seen it
1: I mean, you can wait. (laughs) I don't know. It's like it's a movie that I I did not like. It comes at night very much. Okay, I thought it was fine uh this movie i like better than that but i still don't think it's it's not exactly a movie that i'm like oh my god david you have to watch it right now the second yeah. it opens or anything so it's about a uh a, a black family in america and they're kind of like uh, middle class upper middle class uh it's like a mom dad two kids and they've they kind of like seem like very you know kind of very perfect in ideal as a family like all the, the kids are good students the son's like a like a star athlete. The parents have like a successful business like everything seems great and then you know clearly things aren't and like it's a movie that is uh there's some twists and turns in it that I don't want to spoil so it's another movie that's kind of challenging to talk about I think that it's but, but like structurally it is kind of like there's like a there's a point where it's or it goes from being like about one thing to being about another thing. I think I like the second half of it a little bit better. It was a little bit more interesting. But they're but they're almost they're not completely disjointed. But it feels sometimes it it did feel to me like a little like if they were two companion movies instead of one movie in a way. Um, and then the, and it takes so long to get there because then you first have to get through the first half, which is interesting, but I think not quite doing anything where I was like oh wow like I really learned something there and that's something that's that i have never seen before anything like that um i will say though calvin harrison jr plays the Sun mm-hmm. and he was also in loose earlier this year he was in it comes at night he is he is very good he continues to do very good work and he also continues to play uh play teenagers who are just trying to live their lives but then you know the adults are yeah. putting a lot of pressure on them and things go terrible so uh yeah it's a i think i think i've, I've i think i know a lot of people really really loved it i didn't and then i have also talked to a few people who are very skeptical of it who saw it and were just like oh i don't know um i think i'm somewhere in the middle on that one
0: all right the final movie um is a movie that i i would consider it my second least favorite film of tiff uh, that i saw at tiff but oh, no. um i still liked it more than i didn't which i think speaks to how good a festival uh, this was this year but i i i picked like the there were like piano press screenings there was Uh, the new Elias Suleiman movie which I forget the name of the new uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa movie and this one and I picked this one and a part of me is like I liked it but I wonder if I would have liked the other ones better but uh, this movie is called Zombie Child it's from Bertrand Brunello um, who made uh, 2011's masterpiece House of Tolerance he made Nocturama a couple years ago Um, and Zombie Child is uh, two narratives in one that go uh, that he cuts back and forth one is based on a supposed true story in, in 19, uh, early 1960s, uh, Haiti, uh, the story about a man who was, um, turned into a voodoo style zombie. He was poisoned, thought dead, buried, then dug up by the people who poisoned him and put to work essentially as a as slave labor because he was not uh, himself anymore and then eventually returned uh, to his family. Um, this is all none of this has ever been proven but this is a, the, what the man uh, oh uh, see that's the in. Yeah, the the in charge, uh, quick acting Angie that I. <laughs> I, I, I just almost
1: knocked over a water bottle and then and then managed to rescue it. Yeah, but you, the thing is that that means this is the second time I've but almost you spilled didn't water lose your everywhere.
0: This time, the other time was very funny. Wow, well, okay, I, I feel like pool. David is just
1: never going to respect me again.
0: <laughs> um, Okay, so, uh, that's the, that's the, the, the one story, and then the, the second story is a completely, uh, invented story in which that character's granddaughter has since moved to France and is attending an all-girls Catholic boarding school, um, and, uh, uh is sort of, um, invited into this sort of, uh, secret club of cool girls, uh, or whatever, who are very notably all white in this girlization. um, uh, and yeah so like a lot of the movies we've been talking about there's some clear allegories going on going on here a lot of this times about in this in this case about sort of white westerner condescension and appropriation um and and and, and things like that um and it, it occasionally gets a little bit batshit if you know Bertrand Bernello's movies you know he has he played when he when he wants a movie to take a turn, he commits to it. And this movie does eventually, it's called zombie child. It's about that not Romero type of zombie, you know, about right. the, like the old fashioned voodoo type of zombie, but it does take a turn at the end where it becomes a full on horror movie okay. for a little bit. And I liked that, but it also felt like too little, too late. It just feels like with the two stories, I feel like Bertrand Bonilla couldn't fully commit to either. a lot of the times it feels like the f- the first the, ha- the haiti set story despite taking up half the screen time really only exists as a reference point for the rest of the story so it doesn't feel like it's fleshed out as much as it as okay, it could yeah. be mm-hmm. um uh, and so yeah i there's a lot that i i was never quite bored by the movie there's a lot that i like about it but i did when it was over i did think there were other things i could have been seeing <laughs>
1: yeah
0: uh so that's it that's our tiff
1: that's our tiff
0: Alright, um, you can find my reviews of everything that I uh, talked about here today at pretension.com. You can follow me at David at com. Uh, sorry, email me at David at com. Follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Uh, Angie, where can people find you and your TIFF coverage? Uh,
1: you can find me and my TIFF coverage at Mashable.com And you can find me on Twitter at AJHN
0: Sorry, I thought that was going to take longer
1: No, So I took a big sure drink of water
0: Um, Uh, before you knock over the rest of my water. Uh, Angie, thank you so much for being here and letting me make fun of you for knocking over water and liking forearms. This
1: is a delight. Today I learned so much about what it's going to be like in a few months when I'm almost 37.
0: (laughs) It's going to be a scary time. Can't Uh, wait. Thank you so much. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.